Hello and welcome to Spotlight, the official podcast of Grapple. I'm Venom. I'm JP. And I'm Alan 4 l Hey! <laughs> that wasn't fun. JPQ, you're up, mate. You're in. You've been on here multiple times, Alan. You need you need to get in on in on that intro. Yeah, I know. Score. <laughs> uh, we've just been uh, doing the pre-show where JP was giving us some Sucker Saturday. We were, uh, you know. Yeah, he, I was going to say you're applying for that job uh, Jeff Stalling was leaving behind, but I think he's staying now, isn't he? I think he's you know staying, staying on, yeah. <laughs> Proper Logan <laughs> Boy style. Yeah. There's much more depressing Soccer Saturday, though, unfortunately, JP. I'm uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry we've, uh, we've queued you up on a Monday night. No. And, uh... Thursday night was the night definitely not to see or hear from me. Well, I was, like, genuinely mm. livid. This I kind of expected. <laughs> we looked like we were completely out of gas. So... It's just that it's Spurs doing it as well, but it's like, ah, fuck. As I said on the pre show, when JP talked about Arsenal pains on a Thursday night, I just assumed he was re watching a VHS of David Seaman getting loved by Naeem and the cup ah, winners. Ah, it's a bloody bring that up. That, like, as I said to you on the pre show, like in school, going to school in North London, that was not fun. Like having all Spurs fans just, it had to be him. <laughs> it was one of those things as well that, like, <sighs> There was certain there were certain things you'd always shout out playing football when you were a kid in the nineties, and like if you ever like went for a lob or were successful with a lob, which is rare, uh, you'd always shout naive. Yeah, <laughs> I I never I, I I couldn't bring myself to do something like that. I probably would have <laughs> tried, tried to think. I don't know. Uh, trying to think of who would have done it at that point in time. Possibly like a kind of Ian Wright, but yeah, that was a that was horrible days that one. But no, how do we got that night? My favorite, um, my favorite school ground thing was when we all spent an entire lunchtime trying to do the uh, the scorpion kick. <laughs> that was that was a thing for a whole fucking brain. <laughs> whole you trying that? <laughs> yeah, where's the Matty doing back, backyard wrestling? I was going to say, was that was that worse than like first day of wrestling school taking bumps, Benno? Like uh, at least prepared you. It prepared yeah. you for like the flare face first bump. Got me ready. I was always horrible the face bump. But you always need to remember to look the other way. No, I, fun, but... I would never be able to do that. I just yeah. yeah, I'd go to my knees like right before impact for sure. Put my arms out. I, I just wouldn't be able to do it. No way. But, yeah. Not not the bumps that Matty took in school. Where he took like what was it like thirty thirty stunners or something dark like that, (laughs) and that's probably onto concrete if it's school. I was thinking about it because a lot of these wrestling moves, you weren't, you wasn't. Oh, let's go down to the crash mats by an athletics track. Mm. No, we're doing this on concrete. It's like when people playing like playing bulldog in school. It's like yeah. Why the fuck we're playing this on concrete and you're gonna fucking rugby tackle me to the ground? It's like <laughs> see, we'd find like the little bit of grass in school. Like I remember, like the younger brother inventing the uh, the reverse Rana once on on one of my mates, uh, Ian, and almost <laughs> killing him. Um, he was just trying to do a regular Shawn Michaels 1996 Frankensteiner, but he went the wrong way. But you know, started something there. That was always a good move. Figure four leg locks and um. Perfect plexus with the two in my school. They were the uh, they were the ones you didn't get out of. I one of my mates could do a uh, oh, that was my cousin John could do like a full. Could definitely do a shoot figure four leg lock. You know, perfect plex was always uh, hard to uh, hard to get out of. They were the uh, they were the two big finishers in uh, in my territory. I I can remember trying to do like figure fours and stuff, and like if I did it to my cousins, like they'd feel it, like it would hurt, just like across the shin. 
But I remember mm. doing it to my uncle and he just sat there with no expression on his face whatsoever. I'd have been like 11. Probably a weird sight <laughs> now coming back to think on it. Like, thank God nobody came in. But yeah. Was it a, um, was there a day everybody had when they, where they found out that just like turning over and reversing the figure four leg lock did not actually reverse the pressure? Like that was a horrible no. moment that they found out that didn't work. <laughs> it makes it worse. Goes onto your calves mm. then. It, it, it kills. <laughs> I remember because I didn't get WCW. Um, like I, I did in like '93 and stuff when I was very small. But like in my older years, I didn't get WCW. And when I was 13, 14, went on a, a family holiday to um, Ibiza. Um, not, 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 not a JP kind of Ibiza trip. Uh, not, a Masakatsu, <laughs> not a Masakatsu Fanaki type of Ibiza trip. No, certainly not. Glow skits. They, uh, orange pants. Whatever, whatever went to Spain, or most of the time went to Spain, there was always the ability to see some WCW via the, the Cartoon Network um, TNT deal. So um, uh, I saw some 2000s WCW for like the first time after having been reading about it in Paris. I'm like, oh my God, Nitro. And I saw Chronic. And then literally the whole next day out by the pool, we we were trying to do high, just doing high times on everyone into the pool. <laughs> just thought of the coolest thing ever. It was just a little shitty double choke slam. It was like, oh, but the, it was over on the TV and like the commentary was put over. So and it was these two big jacked up steroid guys doing it. So it was like, yeah, 14 year old us, me and my mates I made on holiday were thinking it was like the best thing ever. So yeah, high times for everyone. <laughs> No, no parents got any of the references. Oh, I, I've still, I've still got like anxiety over like some of the things I used to run around the house saying when I was a kid, not knowing what they meant, and just like wondering, like, did my parents think I was some kind of sexual deviant or something? Just running around, being like, "I'm gonna get wood" and stuff like this. <laughs> <laughs> just choppy choppy peepee just like <laughs> constant like sockets i'm sure like yeah like i don't know how i have any form of relationship with my sister like the the girl like the poor girl like jesus christ she she got put through some level of abuse just cutting rock promo like if you have a sister that's two years younger than you in the attitude era she is gonna get Every feckin' slur thrown at her under the sun. <laughs> Poor girl. Um, it's a wonder we all grew up to be so adjusted. It really is. I, I, I think that like that was always the thing. It was like I felt like wrestling grew up with me because you're a similar age to me, Alan. Where it was like you know the '90s. It was like oh yeah, it's kind of a, it's it's you know it's aimed at me. It's aimed at like me as a kid. And then I was like. 12 or 13, all of a sudden plunged into the attitude there. All of a sudden, the stable rips your top off and it's got two yeah. hands in her tits and you just, yeah. and you really, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the moment puberty started. I remember putting a sunny poster on my wall, you know, starting to buy Raw magazine rather than WWF magazine. Like all of my teenage years are very much connected to it. Uh, might want to take that down wrestling. these days, mate. <laughs> yeah, that is an issue. Yeah, <laughs> I've never, I've never thought about it like that. Then, was it then. and then as well, like as we get into college, it's like we start getting into like more artsy, independent stuff and uh, yeah. and uh, cultural, foreign uh, stuff and everything. Yeah, it's you're dead right. I've never thought of it 
like that before. But if I'm not Japanese, I'm not interested. That was your that 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 was the art house cinema phase that wrestling fans <laughs> would go through there, wasn't it? We all went through our hipster phase, like I say, all my ROH stuff, early early 2000s, you know, hipster wrestling banner. We were all uh, there. It's like Matty always says, like the conversation me and Matty constantly have. It's like our generation have just been in charge, you know, like it's that that whole time conversation where, you know, we're the first generation where our, you know, all our nostalgia is immediately available, you know, all the stuff we like when we were kids, you can get at the touch of a a finger, everything's been recorded, everything's rewatchable. And it's like we've just, bombarded the later generations with it for the last 20 years you know to the point yeah. where it, we're all they kind of know like but but in your day that was the proper stuff and it always will be like that because we're right as that gen- i mean i, <laughs> I, think I was on the hipster wrestling front i think me and gareth would say it was like being a wcw fan throughout like the mm. 90s like i think that was that, yeah. even though it might see loads on itv and stuff like that it wasn't they didn't have a summer slam uh, 92 I can tell you that Raw Power Tour did like a thousand fucking people and they were offering four tickets for the price of one when I saw them at mm. Earl's Court was that the 93 tour with the Sting and Vader nah. switches this is like the 91 tour okay first that's, came over that's the one where uh, um, oh Johnny B. Bad and um, PN News are on uh, Pat Kenny Live on RT promoting the show beforehand that makes- <laughs> It's, it's the most amazing piece of video I've found. Wow. Like, oh, when, I, when that I showed up last that. year, I was... Show image number one. There you go, send me that. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll try to root it out. I mean, PN News was definitely on that show. I've had some, like, kind of internal... Like, cause a lot of the card itself, I, I remember being really close up to Scott Steiner. It was the mm. Oz and the Diamond Stud, so it was like seeing The Outsiders like kind of five years too early, frankly. Um, but it was, yeah, it was like fucking empty. And everyone sat on like one side, like a thousand people inside, like a what can hold about 12,000 people. Whereas the this the 93 one had about 9,000 people. Hmm. <laughs> Smart Mark Video was our criterion collection. <laughs> That's a great shot from <laughs> where, 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 what what did your um, kind of you know smarky you know indie kind of like when did you make that jump Alan from like being like oh you know I'm just watching what's in front of me or I'm watching WCW because now that's now that's on the telly to to find and tapes and stuff like for me it was like my, my cousin was buying like the um, IWA yeah, uh, King of matches for- stuff that was my route through yeah, a cousin for me too but like um uh I would say it was gradual because ECW was kind of the first step with that because yeah, when course, all, the EC, yeah. All, C, all the ECW videos and DVDs kind of got released over here all in that kind of really tight time period and um, they, were, yeah. they were selling them on, on on the cheap a lot in HMV in, in Dublin and um, so I was able to stock up on loads of those. That was kind of like step one and then like when WCW and ECW were gone, I, I remember, I, I don't know which was first. Um, I remember seeing a WWA show that had AJ and Daniels on it from Australia or Vegas, one of those shows. And it was either seeing them there or reading about the, the definitely reading about the road to the title or OH show in Paraslam mm. with the pictures of mm, red versus same. Loki was yep. like a huge thing. That was when I decided that I wanted to see ROH. 
And also what was going on at that time was the talk sport radio show summer of 2002. Mm. And they were, mm. they were big enough. The FWA that was bringing over AJ and, and um, they were talking about Johnny, Fle- Johnny storm and Jody Fleisch. So it, 2002 was like the transition year for me. Like I, I, I think I got my first ROH tapes late that year or early 2003. And then, 2003 like every month it was just consuming more and more new stuff that cousin mm. i mentioned gave me cds with uh, czw music videos on them um i remember a, a best of roderick strong mv from like 2003 he hadn't done shit yet but the 2003 best of roderick strong in czw music video um set to can you guess what song oh one guess don't know Indies, Jack Evans. Two, Indies 2003, a Roderick Strong CZWMV. Oh. Oh. Headstrong. Headstrong. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> there was no other choice. No. <laughs> and there, there's our song for the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah, like it's funny because you think of those years and, like, you know, I, I always think, like, the, you know, we've talked about the wrestling channel before, you know, because that comes along not long after that. And like I always think that that wrestling channel generation had it too easy, you know, as far as like learning what was out there, and you know, rather than just uh, going the hard route through a through a cousin or through a tape or through you know seeing reviews in Power Slam or, or whatever. But it blows my mind that like you know I, I saw something the other day about like Brian and uh, and Loki and some match they had in two thousand and one, and to me like two thousand and one is like a distant. Mm era compared to like you know the indies 0304 you know the fact that punk had already started wrestling or the invasion was going on you know we had only just ended and like you know these guys were out there and it's like it's closer in time than kind you remember do you remember seeing loki on any of his like metal or jacked appearances Definitely, I remember like him mm. and Kid Cash were always the two that stood out. You know, it was David Jericho. They they always stood out to me as like the cool jobbers, and I didn't really understand why I liked them, but I did. Yeah, there was one Loki match, and I want to say like September, October two thousand one, um, mm. where he, he he like did a bunch of his crazy stuff, and I mm. thought he was like doing like a monk gimmick. I don't know why. I thought he was supposed to be a monk. Um, but, uh, <laughs> he he was it was just he just wrestled with such a weird style and um yeah it was uh I I, I he just stood out as really different to me and then mm. kind of then remembered him a year later or whatever it was when he started getting the hype in in ROH. Um but uh mm. yeah. Yeah, he was kind of a Charlotte monk. That's kind of the gimmick, you know. He's a big Wu Tang fan. It kind of uh, it fits together. But yeah, he's, and, he and is, he's turned a, to like, Agent Forty Seven inexplicably halfway through. <laughs> yeah, I like mean, JP, we're talking about when we were doing the uh, the newsletter show, uh, the Observe This show. It's like you know, he was our generation Sabu. You know, he was like he was that yeah. guy who like just he stood out. You know, he was something something clearly special about him. There were rumours, wasn't there, that it was one of the, if ECW had survived, he was going to be someone they were going to be bringing in, which oh, makes well, sense. So they had, um, so the training school, the ECW training school had been taken over by Mikey Whipwreck before ECW went out of business. So the school that essentially became the school that was training Red, SATs, um, like uh, 
Brian Myers and Zach Wright, like all those Mikey Whitbreck on to um, uh, Pat Buck, that whole lineage, like that would have been... All New York wrestlers. Yeah, that was all kind of stemmed from the ECW school because Whitbreck took it over. So like mm. those guys would have for sure come in. Um, they had already done uh, tryouts for Michael Shane and someone else, I think, had done a, a show. Um, I can't remember who. Daniels definitely had done a couple. Um, but um, then you had the, the Shawn Michaels guys, uh, Danielson and, and Kendrick. They were so Michaels was negotiating quite a bit with ECW during his time that he was away from WF to come in. Um, and like, to, oh, there was all kinds of like discussions between Michaels and, and Heyman for, for different roles that he might do in the company. And a lot of the discussions involved around bringing his guys in to be part of the, the roster as well. So, um, like they for sure would have been there. So pretty much everyone who kind of was that initial base of ROH guys had a path into ECW if they weren't already on it to begin with. So uh, yeah, for sure. I think they would have really filled out that roster. What a sliding doors thing. That's Shawn Michael. Shawn Michaels comes into ECW after being away for (laughs) what, like four years. Well, you've just reminded me. That's one of the like the, my big memories of that period because Gareth put it in our group chat the other day. Remember that um, when Sean was retired in that period, where they had that rando match in um, was it TWA his company with like, yeah, yeah, the ladder match. match. What was the guy who had the, the match with Gareth? Sent I want to say some Venom day. or something being with a V. Oh, the shindiest looking dude, but I re- like that's brought back because that I remember like desperately searching for that. Like Sean Michaels had a match. And it was a hardcore match. I need to find this. And then I've seen yeah. the clip recently and it was pretty rotten. Like, you know, if anyone hasn't, uh, hasn't seen it the, or not. The, Daniels, the Danielson and Spanky matches from, from then um, in that promotion, like they, they were awesome and they kind of, they hold on pretty well. Yeah, it's like 2000, 2001, isn't it? Paul Diamond. That's an name I've been in a while. Yeah, I was going to mm. say. Oh, it might have been Paul Diamond. Yeah, because him and Sean were. I don't know if he was involved in training any guys. I feel like maybe he mm. lived with Sean for a while or something. I, I could be completely making that up in my head. But, is, he, uh, is he not most famous for being in the Orient Express? <laughs> a gimmick and a team that's very rarely brought up. Oh, great, great, great. Do you, no, JP, are you a are you a Diamond and Tanaka? So Kato and Tanaka guy, or are you a... Um, original Orient Express guy with uh, Tanaka and Akio Sato. To be honest, it would end up being um, Paul Diamond and yeah. uh, and uh, and uh, Pat Tanaka. They're the I ones that come to mind. That probably feels a bit a bit early. Um, mm. but that, would they would have what, come in, what, 87, 88? No, they were later than that. Yeah, yeah. Like these, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, they were there like sort of 90. Actually, it would have been like sort of about 1990, 91 yeah. when that rocked. Like we watched something recently with them on, didn't we? I'm sure we did. They did Rumble they did 92. Rumble. They did Rumble 92 mm. against Owen mm. and Nightheart in their in their baggy pants. Oh, yeah. And I, I like that match as much, as much as the 91 Rumble opener that like everyone, everyone puts the 91 Rumble opener against the Rockers up as like one of the best WF matches of the 90s, one of the best openers. Yeah, 
I, and it's great. I love it. I don't like it any less than anyone else, but I just think the following year's match against Neidhart and Owen is really slept on. I love that match. From the Knickerbocker Arena in Albany, New York. <laughs> <laughs> That's a magic. I always remember that. I remember being in a restaurant as a kid and just seeing a, a Knickerbocker glory on the... Yeah. Uh, on the dessert menu and just being like, that's, <laughs> that's where Flair won the rumble. <laughs> just on a side note, where are they gone these days, Knickerbocker glories? You scared from the ice cream man, didn't you? You know, I haven't seen an ice cream man in a while, Liam. I don't know if you still get them. You get you. screwball from the ice cream. You're not getting Knickerbocker glory, mate. Mm. You need that in With a little um, bubblegum in the wimpy. bottom. Yeah, that's what you need <laughs> with problems. Like, after you've had like a proper burger and chips. <laughs> and he'd be slightly resentful. You'd have to wait in Wimpy without realising it was by far the superior food. Sorry, that was a complete sidetrack. <laughs> that's what we're doing. Well, last week we were teaching, Matty was teaching people about yep. cutting onions. This week we're teaching people about burgers. So, any any cutting onions advice, Alan, or, you know? Oh, I've got a hard act to follow after last week, too. Fair. Onions are barred in this house. Uh, Sarah will oh. not tolerate onions. That's a recipe for Why? divorce. Oh, she can't, she can't tolerate them at all. She once we once had to early on when we were dating. She'll kill me if she's listening upstairs. She got me to send her the link. But earlier on, or early on when we were dating, uh, we went to a restaurant, and uh, her food came slithered in onions, and she had to leave. She couldn't stay. <laughs> it was that bad. That's <laughs> she was, she was onion phobia. Upset. Yeah, it's proper onion phobia. Like she was, she was legit rattled. <laughs> Was she attacked in an onion field as a child outside of Dungarvan? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just try. I I never, I never, I never liked them to begin with myself, but like I could pick them off if they came on something, you know. But uh, Mm. yeah, no, now they're just not. If if I order something and an onion has been anywhere near, like I'll have had to have listerined, brushed my teeth, showered twice before she wants me within 10 feet of her <laughs> see i don't feel like talking about onions i do feel that way about cheese though so you know <laughs> i respect her mistake as simon says in the chat sarah knows our onions and clearly hates them which works brilliantly <laughs> for that that phrase <laughs> uh any like from from last week any teletext memories alan we could follow up last week with that was the other bit uh, just big thing we, uh, we talked about Quoting the numbers like the lads did is something that I could definitely do. Um, uh, 302, first of all, was it? Yeah, like, true, true. If you had time, 301, you know. Yeah, big stories on the latest scores on 303 or big stories mm. on, on the next few pages. And then 312, as you said, it was like the roundup of generally stuff I wasn't interested in, but occasionally you get an interesting nugget in there. Um, mm. uh, but, um, Barry Fry has done something scandalous or something like that, and it would appear in three one two. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, memories. Like Jericho's Jericho's title win slash not title win in April two thousand being um, spoiled for me, but also making me just beyond excited for that Raw that Friday was that definitely stands out as like the big spoiler memory in terms of teletext. I was going to say, well, like that for me, like I remember, like, because you'll respect this going on the uh, DSF teletext. And like I said last week, reading the uh, reading the spoilers for uh, for Raw and Nitro on a Tuesday. I think you got me mixed up with someone there because I was it not you? No, not me. 
Oh, was it you that was ringing the Mega Bowl, or is that a? I I don't even know what a Mega Bowl was. So, (laughs) oh well, I never did the I never did the hotlines. I was I wasn't a hotline guy. Oh, I missed that. Somebody saved a fortune in a literal sense. That's it. Was, no, the German was... teletext was where I found out about Nash and Hall coming into the WCW because it was like I think Hall had came in and the week like the nitro after I remember reading that it, it was like invade in like my broken like understanding of German. It was like invader number two diesel or something like that. And I think I, I remember Waltman jumping to WWF and, and that spoiling me that way. But like you say, it wasn't really a spoiler, it just it made me more excited to finally watch that nitro tape two weeks later when it had turned up on TNT. I love that kind of stuff. I mean, I remember watching that Waltman appearance live. I was in the States. Mm. Well, I wasn't there live at the show. But I saw it on TV. I just arrived into the States mm. on holiday. And I saw, I wanted to see like what it was like to watch Raw. So I was really jet lagged and I sat through it. And mm. it was just like seeing Waltman come out. I was like, oh, these lucky bastards getting this shit every week, fucking live, live at eight o'clock. And flicking between <laughs> that and Nitro just because just I could. For one mm. night, just like being able to mm. dive into the Monday Night Wars and the heat of battle. <laughs> Might get to do that soon, watching... some of the scuttle, but it's true, won't we? Well, there you go. And that'll be me watching Dynamite uh, next week at 5pm, which would be fucking weird. But yeah, um, mm. but no, you're, you're not a mailbox man either, either uh, Alan. That was funny, like from last week, because I'd forgotten that um, Gareth was. Like he found like screenshots from like uh, I found like, mailbox.co.uk where they had like you've got like an archive of all their letters pages. What? Gareth was super delphin because of course he was. <laughs> he, he was oh, afraid not. He was giving Fraser an awful slagging in those screenshots. He, he, he was, he, yeah. He was giving like he was just Stand kicking off. Them. Yeah, he yeah absolutely... Kelsey, Kelsey Grammer or Nathan Carter. Well, like Ben Carter. Damn it. Oh no! Kill <laughs> <Kel, laughs> my own joke. I'll 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 starve in Nathan. Um, there he is. I'm surprised he could fucking walk these days. Uh, he's not eaten for years. Um, yeah, Gareth absolutely loathing Frasier. Didn't like Desmond's as well. Which he was like, look, it was a light entertainment comedy show on six o'clock on Channel Four. It wasn't I something. You weren't getting Chris Morris style shit at that time. I had never heard of the Desmonds, and it popped up on a, a Netflix uh, search a couple of months ago, and I was like, "This looks like it could be a bit of fun." And it, I added it to my watch list, and I haven't put it on yet. But I don't know is it very dated, or would I get a laugh out of it? I wonder. <laughs> I would hold up without the nostalgia, though. I think you'd need the nostalgia, don't you think, JP? Yeah, yeah. You you would need you'd need you'd need the nostalgia. I think for it, but I, you know, mm. I don't know, Alan. Do you ever go that far? Like watch like Bosco on YouTube or something. Like <laughs> that's a reference. Um, I used to have a sweet Bosco mug, JP. It was oh. uh, it was a big uh, fixture of my my childhood. My Bosco mug, but uh, um, no, I don't. I remember there was a uh, there was Bosco, but there was also this. I forget what he was called. There was this like cool rat that had like rat puppet that would hosted a show in um on rt and he had like an earring and a thick dublin accent and right. he was kind of like he was kind of like dustin but a rat and yeah. uh, 
yeah, I, I, I can't find any evidence of him existing. So, like, I don't know that I just imagined this Tyler whole Larry, Raul, Raul and Rath, something. Oh, I, can't mind you the yeah. I was thinking, <laughs> yeah, I was going to go with Roll and Rath, but I knew it wasn't going to be that. I, I just Googled Rath and RTE, but I've just found stories about a bomb sniffing rat that's retired after a, an award winning career. I don't think it's Whoa. the same rat. <laughs> Cambodia's Cambodia's landmine sniffing rat hero dies is the follow up story. So, wow. <laughs> I don't think there's a happy ending to that one. I mean, if uh, it's a heart attack, then what a fucking, like, what an innings for a rat. Like, that's the <laughs> innings, isn't it, of all of these. How did uh, the many questions, did they train the rat? Was the rat naturally gifted? How did they, the rat get involved in the whole bomb-sniffing scenario? More questions than answers here. I don't. I think the death opens it up. Born into it. Born into it. But I'm with Simon. I was a big rolling rat fan uh, back in the day as well, you know. Back, back when Schofield had his first run those days. Um, <laughs> I love this idea of talking about TV presenters now and their runs. Like, just discussing <laughs> yeah. them. Working the territories, working ITV and BBC. Going It'll work your way up, mate. You know? Like, working for the like, BBC yeah. is like working for Baba and ITV is a no-key. Like, I just love that shit. That's how, <laughs> how wrestling should be thought of. Yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot of people like that. You know, you, you you see like you know Russell Brand, you know, doing like the shitty Big Brother show, and then he becomes this big star. You know, Dim O'Leary, you know, worked his way up to X Factor. There's there's levels to you know the, the, and the and heights Dead, of mate. and uh, from PJ and Duncan to uh, Saturday Night Takeaway, mate. They've uh, mm. celebrating a run. couple of motherfuckers tonight. They were as well in that crowd. Not worthy. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, mate. It's That's a- all right. <laughs> they thoroughly deserved oh. it. There's no resentment on my part. <laughs> well, on this uh, retro TV point, and we're going to get into the uh, the plugs now before we actually get into the rest on this week, which I suppose we should actually uh, talk about. When we're getting you on to do uh, the Dream Team podcast, Alan, when that that happening, we need to uh, connect you and, uh, <laughs> and grab a card with JP, and I'll be the uh, canary in the coal man. We'll get that done. Yeah, we've been talking about it so long. I feel like oh. uh, it'll, either, it'll either have to be done or it'll become our voice of wrestling, Great American Bash 1991. Save it for it. We'll save for an anniversary or something like that, like they did. And uh, that's a that's around. a good. I think we need to for that. I, I mean, it's where to start with Dream Team. Yeah, where I only you... watched the. Uh, I only watched the first couple of seasons, so like I haven't seen like the absolute maddest stuff that they. Yeah. They when did. it starts to become footballers' wives, basically, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, when when they needed to like you know you'd ran out of the basic football storylines that you're gonna. <laughs> have on the show and you just needed to keep content coming for however many seasons as they had and keep ratings up so it's like all right we're gonna have like a heidenreich as a frozen frozen nazi uh coming back yep. <laughs> benno did you get that reference oh yeah <laughs> i remember oh, I wasn't that, that the- story at the uh like in Coventry, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, what was that? What was the name of the that place where they oh, had Jumping Jacks? Was it Jumping Jacks? There we go. The, yeah, the, like, you you love that one, didn't you, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> I'm aware of the Hyden right. Wasn't that the guy? Someone pitched it in the room. He was a writer yeah. who got sacked pretty much straight afterwards, didn't he? <laughs> and then they gave the gimmick to, gimmick to Walter. So you know, it's all worked out. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Jesus, oh skinny Walter these days. Loved up and living up in the States, dressed as a basketball player. It's wild. <laughs> he looks well, though. He looks well. He looks happy. He looks happy. So. 
we'll uh, we'll give him that. But no, we'll get um, we'll get the Dream Team uh, podcast going at some point. Um, getting a lot of uh, comments in the, in the chat about uh, Dream Team. Chris saying uh, it was a uh, you know when they got away from the digs and the uh, and the youth team players, it was a uh, it was mental. Saying Mikey saying there's a season where there's a uh, an evil vision. Saying Alex Ferguson <laughs> is their manager. Maybe that's the, I think we need to we don't need to watch was the. There, was there never team not team an team evil team. version of Alex Ferguson as a manager? <laughs> As the Arsenal fan remembering the nineties very distinctly. Yeah, I think Gareth would agree with you there too, mate. Especially ninety nine. Oh, yeah. That was a kick in the bollocks. Wasn't the evil <laughs> version of Alex Ferguson his son? Didn't he turn out to be uh Darren yeah. Ferguson? Didn't he get it's why, it's why he wouldn't talk to the BBC, wasn't it? Because it was about his son being an agent. One of those nice? agents as well. Is this like the DBRCs? <laughs> like where the two sons get indicted <laughs> by the FBI? <laughs> I remember that when like Ted DiBiase Senior was on like might have been Cabana's podcast or something. He was like, "Oh yeah, Ted Junior. He's just he knows so many people. He has so many contacts. You know, he's just oh, he's just so busy all the time. He's always it's like, oh, yeah. think of the cons that lad's running. Like, and oh yeah, dear old dad's like, oh yeah, he's doing so well. You know, I'm really proud of him. Ted Junior and his Christian mates up to wholesome <laughs> family goodness. Yeah, yeah, bullshit. Like the fucking righteous like gemstones, those boys is what they turned out to be, didn't they? <laughs> oh yeah, Chris says here it was Jason who turned out to be the wanker. But, but anywho, yeah, we'll re- we'll uh, we'll revisit that stuff at uh, at some point. But uh, yeah, this uh, this week on Patreon we did uh, revisit. Um, speaking of scummy people from the past, we discovered some. Uh, we, we we taught UJP about some uh, some old school Brit res in uh, in one PW. Really? Eddie Sideburns was on as our uh, our king of the mountain. He made the choice. We drafted in. Yeah, the man who wrote the fucking history book himself, Arn Furist, to, uh, to chat with us and talk some more PW. There were uh, definitely some re- revelations uh, in that podcast for poor innocent JP there. Oh, there was. Like, this is like a, like, again, one of the many blind spots when it comes to wrestling. We'll hear about another one later on. Um, but it is one of these things where, like, I kind of knew very little about 1PW, just at a point in time where I'd just become a dad. So I didn't really have a lot of time to piss off Doncaster for a weekend. So it was absolutely fans- fascinating and a really fun show as well with, with Eddie and Arn, um, going into some of the really weird, wacky characters like around the place. Uh, some, some truly vile people as, as well. But yeah, yep. and uh, some matches that are far too long. And people are like, why is he there? Why, like, just some, some some weird, weird booking decisions in front of a sold-out crowd who love a homophobic chant or two as well. So, yes, we... Go on. I'm shocked I wasn't. Like, I was going to say to Alan, like, I'm shocked I wasn't around at these shows. Like I said on the podcast, I mm. went to 1PW shows where it was near the end of the run. I definitely had tickets to some. Um, I feel like maybe their first show I had tickets, but... Um, you know, the small matter of going to see Joe Kabashi in America. I don't know if I've mentioned that was there. Uh, Also going to Double or Nothing next week. Um, So I missed out on that one. And then there was another show I had tickets for where I think, like we talked about in the podcast, I think it just dawned on me. Doncaster Mm. was a complete fucking arse to get to. So I don't think I ended up going to that one either. Like, but like watching that show back, and like looking through some of the cards when we were trying to pick them, like looking at the names of it, you know, Generico on there. It's a shame he was wrestling, but, you know, he's on there, you know, Joe's being flown over, Daniels as Curry Man. Joe's being thrown over to be in a random six-man, where they pretend to attack him, and he does nothing of consequences in an eight-minute match. 
which is the one PW issue. But like, you know, yeah. I, I remember hearing story of like, you know, Jimmy Rave being on their shows a couple of months there. The Briscoes knocking about. I'm surprised you weren't there, Alan. Why weren't we front row? Like, why weren't me, me and you dying in the whole one PW guys? I don't know. I think I am. Um... I must have turned my nose up on it for some reason because I never ended up getting any other stuff. Um, the only was it a bit, Alan? No, I, I like <laughs> probably more JP next. I guess. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. Actually, um, you like Abyss's run, don't you? In Ring of Honor, I, I liked Abyss in ROH. I liked Abyss up until he started being a masochist in TNA. Yeah. Um, yeah. Embassy but, Abyss uh, is one of the all-time great runs. Yeah, it's class. Um, but uh, the yeah, I don't know what it was about 1PW. Maybe I just saw them for what they were. I can't really remember, but like there was one match. It might be the only 1PW match I've seen. Oh, because there's a there's isn't there a pack Teddy Hart match, maybe, I think as well. I think I saw that. But the one that stands out to me, I'm pretty sure, was AJ and Daniels versus Jody and Johnny. I think they ran that match once, and I remember it being quite good. Um but uh yeah, no, I it didn't. It didn't fit into my um, pro wrestling uh, um, diet at that point. Yeah, we were too, we were too much uh, hipsters, weren't we? I think we were all looking down on like the various forums we were on on One PW, the absolute state it was, and the you know the money mark behind it, and the people they were bringing in, and the state of the booking, and like JP said, they're bringing in Samoa Joe for a fucking six man pushing Corey Graves like he was the greatest wrestler in the world as your main eventer, you know, <laughs> Carino with the book. It was just yeah. I think, did I think you ever hear Carino's podcast that he did with Bix years and years ago when, when Bix? had his own podcast like well before between the sheets he had carino on and carino just ethered one pw just story <laughs> after story of like how inept mm-hmm. they were and and his time in booking and on all this and, easily yeah. believable yeah mm. yeah they like nearly wrecked his relationship with zero one mm. yeah like, which even i can remember that was like a big thing for him like personally being able to kind of you know put the foreign talent and, and the rest of it mm. but yeah yeah nearly like ruined that yeah it's mm. it, it, it was it was really fun as a as as a show to record but like yeah. as a show itself bloody hellfire like it's there's one great mate there's a, a like 19 year old pack versus aj styles where if you haven't seen it absolutely cracking like but you've seen that alan i, I would imagine I know you were, you were tracking Pac like quite uh, closely at that time. I, think, I was trying to think the first time I saw him during that period. Like I feel like it must have been the uh, the King of Europe Cup when he was, was he on the afternoon show with Generico. Was that that or was that the ROH? Yeah, I think I think he's the show. afternoon show with Generico on mm-hmm. King of Europe. Um, it was definitely like a DVD. It was a DVD extra. I think that much. But mm-hmm. my first kind of Pac exposure would have been when he was doing PWG at the end of 2006, I want to say. And um, he tore the house down with Generico. They had the West Coast match or the SoCal match of the year on the SoCal Uncensored uh, forums. um, The real SEU. Yeah, the real SEU, exactly. And uh, then, yeah, then he came over and did those ROH shows in the spring of 2007. Um, Mm. And, uh, yeah, and then shortly after that he was in dragon gate and i mean i was at that point then i was locked into everything he was doing so mm. yeah that that was kind of he was the worthwhile like you go back and you watch that one that one year anniversary show if anyone is planning on watching it just watch that match 
because that yeah. that is you know seeing you know someone like that who's clearly too good for the absolute state of the Brit scene in in yeah. 2006 in there with AJ who literally says you know at what point you know you've leveled up here you kind of you're at my you know you're, you're stepping up a level here like it was clear he was meant for better things that's the probably the only worthwhile thing worth watching on the show unless you you know you just say this and you're really into watching Jay Phoenix but the last said about that moderator. Yeah. yeah so that that was one of the sh- one of the shows that we've done we also did our um observe this brother which was a, a new concept going through an old um uh, edition of uh, of the observer and the torch and we looked at the curtain call edition which to be honest gets rather short shrift in both that and the torch in many ways they mm. just think oh it's not really a thing whereas it being actually like kind of kickstarting quite a lot of weird little history changing moments instead it's all about ufc 9 but we managed to find <laughs> uh, fun in there particularly when they're talking mm. about ddp in brackets page falkenberg or say the big crossbow <laughs> in brackets ray trailer so, like, if, if that is very much the ear of Dave here. I, um, I still remember getting my first Observer in, like, 2003, 2004, and seeing that, and I was like, it's a bit redundant, isn't it? <laughs> but that was... Oh, you did it every, every issue for years? Yeah, that was probably the... Ta- when I got my first Observer, it was probably the tail end of him doing that. So, yeah, I think he realised that stage as well, probably that it was a bit redundant. So... You know, Dave, he'll hang on to something well past the. He's he's reluctant to change, so you know that's. Uh... Well, it's it's not his opinion; it's a subjective opinion. When uh, when Dave puts yeah. a star rating out there, oh, I shouldn't tag him off because he did uh, he did plug grapple twice this weekend and, yeah, and try to defend himself against people who were arguing at that point. But I don't know. Dave's gonna Dave. What are you gonna do? <laughs> um, but I was gonna say, do you remember that like when? Um, Power Slam had that little like pullout Alan, where it was like literally just a list of everything. The hottest women of wrestling in the nineties. Is that the one you're talking about? Oh, there was that too. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that it one. Too, yeah. <laughs> we all remember that. With the picture of Sonny on the back. Yeah, I remember that one. Um, <laughs> Crumbs was the quote, I think. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> no, that was like my Bible with all the real names. On. I was like, oh, Sean Michael's real name is Michael Hickenbottom. Wow, you know, Ric Flair's Richard Flair. I don't think I got that one. That might have been before the first Paris Slam I got was uh, September '98. So on my first day of secondary school, um, I got the first Paris Slam. Real coming of age day for me, yeah, in, in multiple ways. But uh, the uh, the two pullouts I remember were the the aforementioned uh, women of wrestling one, but also the greatest pay per view cards of all time. Um, oh yeah, like that's where I first kind of learned of like Great American Bash '89 being this really well thought of pay-per-view and there was some other shows there that they they listed that i kind of then picked up on as being oh i need to see this at some point and stuff like that so oh, great shit. great days great days love that so, all yeah. else changes. Uh, and just to finish up on the plugs ben just so uh, we've got a uh, yeah weekend show coming up we will be sorting out some plans as we've realized that between me and ben i'll be we have balls up planning over the next couple of weeks but don't worry there'll be stuff out there he says yeah probably more in hope than in expectation um because you're relying on me planning so you could all be fucked but yeah come and see find out for yourselves patreon.com forward slash grapple there you go yeah like jp says there'll be plenty going on over the next two weeks even if the uh, the schedule might be a, a bit all uh but all over the place but we still should oh, have yeah. samoa joe mixtape coming up joe mixtape rinker king um one one rinker um, king as well, yeah, we've got the great Jamesy coming on to look at uh, Samoa Joe. Ring uh, King, 
Ring kicking. Oh, no. <laughs> we won't put him through that. <laughs> Joe in 2005-6 is more. Well, uh, I, I, I knew I knew Jamesy was a hipster wrestling fan, but I didn't think it was. Wow. <laughs> going to be doing that all night tonight. I was thinking of that because we're going to be talking about all Japan. I was thinking, yeah, he's Kent Omiyara. Is he just a hipster Ricardo? Is that really what he is? <laughs> That's hip, hipster wrestling. Yeah, Jamesy's all about the ring kicking. All about the ring kicking. Harbour Singh. So am I, in fairness. Uh, I, I might well miss that one, but I'm sure I'll uh, I'll catch up. But yeah, lots coming. But yeah, we should get into uh, the, the week in wrestling, I suppose. You know, it's a couple of uh, major-ish news stories we should talk that kind of lead nicely into, you know, the show reviews. I think the uh, talk of the town this week has, has been uh, MJF's contract status. And obviously there's the Kota Ibushi stuff, which we can uh, talk in conjunction with a, a couple of New Japan shows we've uh, Talked about uh, over the weekend, mm. but I suppose we can start with um, with MJF and the uh, and the AW stuff first. Always fun to get uh, Alan's uh, AEW takes. Uh, unless you want to start JP mm. with the with the big headline uh, story that apparently Ric Flair's returning to uh, <laughs> to wrestle, which is a problematic yeah. story in uh, in several directions. Um, you know why he really he nearly died like yep. a couple of years ago, and wasn't it heart related? Like, yep. I'm not being funny. Like, what do you, like, what the fuck are you meant to say? Like, you know, this is a, a, a wholeheartedly ridiculous idea that that's the case. You'll probably end up on those Author of Pain shows that are going to sell out the Motor Point Arena. <laughs> that was hilarious. coming up as well. Did you see they did like a big countdown clock on their website? It counted down to the big announcement this evening. And then the clock just ended and nothing got announced. And then like within an hour, the clock had been amended to have an extra 24 hours to it. <laughs> they, put, they did put out a video though saying they had contacted some of the world's greatest fighters. Um, um, contact had been made, I think was the uh, the quote. I mean, lads, your, your show's in three weeks in fucking Nottingham, so get a move on. But <laughs> you know, send them emails. Did he? Mm. Is that is that is that the con level of con- leaving up to Paul Ellering, <laughs> well known chatty Paul Ellering, to convince people to come over in three weeks? Yeah, no. Or what was he doing? Reading a newspaper, looking stern. I imagine, <laughs> like. Jesus Christ. I'm I won't lie, I'm fascinated and I'll be following this story every step of the way. Mm. But the the five words, star wrestling. Five star point, wrestling. Yeah. Or WWA, that was the other comparison. It feels right like one. that. It feels yeah. like they're gonna just be WWA sold tickets in fairness. But I think that's what the goal will be. Defense. It'll just be like, you know, like in the those days when WWA were doing the tours and it was like, you know, oh, we've got Shane Douglas and Buff Bagwell and Conan and basically all the people WWF doesn't want. I think it's just literally going to be like anyone WWE released in the last two years. They're going to slap on the poster. Like some of the graphics I've seen are literally using like WWE stock photos. Like there's an Authors of Pain one where one of them's actually holding one of the belts. <laughs> like I did, I did hear actually uh, that that apparently um, one of the Authors of Pain was. Uh, I think he was he was an was he an MMA fighter at some point and apparently he's from, yeah. from Holland and had some links to the UK maybe that explains why they're over here doing these shows because we were that well, that news broke like as we were all to do the I weekend don't know show if it really Friday, explains it to be perfectly honest <laughs> That's true. I'm still very confused by the whole thing it makes zero sense I can if this is any level of a success I'd be just astonished mm-hmm. and by success I mean like. I don't know who they're going to announce. Like, I'm fully expecting Braun Strowman to be on there. There's to be like him, EC3. They'll be doing that kind of level of shit on there. But yeah, this is this is deter- this is going to be dying on its ass, like you mentioned, and it's just going to be 
full of cast-offs, but there's no promotion or anything else. And they've booked a 7,000-seat arena. Martin's timed his, uh, his exit from podcasting wrong, you know, B2B. You know, he's going to be uh, leaving in July, in June, July. I mean, maybe maybe we should stick around and do another couple of years, I think, to uh, cover what will clearly be the uh, the rise in Brit Res here from, uh, from this show. Like, <laughs> Nottingham. Oh, it is, yeah. You know, because WrestleGate do, did so well and Wrestle Carnival do so well. You know, why not? <laughs> the heartland of Brit Res, mate. <laughs> why not? Uh, if AEW ran the motorsport arena in Nottingham, I'd be like, that'll be a test to see if they sell, mm. you know, you know, somewhat, you know, in a, you know, in a city, but not exactly one of the, what you'd imagine one of the big cities in the country. Now that the author is the pain, going to knock it out the fucking park. <laughs> Can't, like I'm again, fascinated to see what will happen, but by comparison makes one PW look like bloody fucking St. Louis understanding. <laughs> doesn't it? It's like it's, at least completely one different kettle of fish. Leaving it, you know, we're actually advertising a card and leaving it to locked up. I mean, it's still completely ill-advised to, you know, run a, a wrestling promotion with uh, Stephen Gauntley involved. But, you know, at least they've advertised yeah. the card and they're giving themselves some lead time. Three fucking weeks to run, as Chris Elliott has put in the chat, control your narrative UK. Feels, you know, it feels very Wrestle Express. There you go. That's another last month, last Simon's mentioned there. I think that uh, oh. that worked. But now on the flair thing, like, 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 like Andy said, yeah, just, you know, Conrad just wheeling because it's one of his shows, isn't it? He's bringing back a uh, Starcast, so yeah, why not throw Rick Flair in the main event and and see what happens? You know, mm, insane. Um, but anyway, living the wrestler. Yeah, yeah. But uh, on the on the real stories, I mean, what do you make of this uh, this MJF stuff? Do you think there's any any smoke to the to the fire? I suppose he's the uh, the headline uh, coming out of uh, AEW this week, and definitely the uh, I would say the uh, the strongest segment uh, on Dynamite over the last week. Coincidence that you know that happens, and then all of a sudden, you know, Fightful are, uh, are putting out reports that uh, that allegedly he's uh, he's unhappy with his uh, with his contract in uh, in AEW. There's been varying reports over the last week as to you know what's behind it and you know whether he's going to get a you know whether AEW want him to sign an extension or not to to get more money, which I think is the real true story. Which is of course like in in any sport in any environment, of course he wants more money. Well. You know they're gonna go. Okay, you can have more money if you sign for more for more years. Um, I think I believe that's what's uh, to and fro in the background. But I don't know. Any thoughts on uh, how much of it's uh, a work and uh, how much of it is uh, is in fact a shoot? Yeah, like I just completely. It, to me, it's I I don't know how anyone would think it's definitely a shoot. It could well be a shoot. Like that's it is plausible that, that could be happening. I'd be surprised because, like, I think things are going so well for both sides of that arrangement right now. You know mm. that I, yeah, like I'm sure he's not starving. So like I'm sure he should. I would think he would just be happy with how his career is going at this point, and and knowing that he's 18 months away from getting. It's like you know a player is from the NFL draft having a really good first season or first two seasons and, and knowing, okay, things have gone really well. And then when I get into my rookie contract, I'm going to sign for big money. And you know, that's there. Um, so like I would have expected he would think like that, but maybe he's more um, uh, antsy and, and wanting to uh, g- get paid earlier, you know, like pro wrestling is a dangerous business. Um, 
you never know like when things could go could go wrong and you might want to start making big cash quicker and you might be using how well things have been going as a way to justify that but to to me while all that is potentially plausible i would just be way more or i'd be way less surprised by the idea of it just being a work like it totally seems within the realm of what like a guy like mjf would do it, it the, the whole story fits to his character it fits to him just being this uh, this heel this um scumbag this uh guy with a huge ego you know like it, it plays to all that um particularly with the way the story has kind of come out with the way it's been fed out um and like he when you look at what just happened with Juice Robinson, you know, where he just went on Observer Live and just spun his yarn, did his work, and everyone bought it. It's like there's no barrier to working this wrestling media these days. Like, I don't think anyone in the business really holds any of these media people to such a high regard that they feel they are cross. Like, I think Tony Khan wouldn't directly feed a work to like Dave or Wade. Cause I think he has like ongoing historic respect for them, but I don't know. I think this generation of wrestlers, like especially the ones that would give it as much thought as an MJF. I, I don't see what's stopping them saying, yeah, I'll go on WhatsApp and just get my, get my story going here which is and he, and and he doesn't even have to ever give it away that he was working them like it could just they could just leave it out there be like oh come to a new agreement or don't or whatever just it's a thing that's out there now so it's people have bought into it and it's you know something that adds to his story his character so mission accomplished if that's what the work was there for reference it a couple of times on tv for an ooh pop from the crowd or uh, oh i can't believe he said that and it's like the I, I think wrestling fans and the wrestling media have never been as gullible as they are now and they treat everything <laughs> as 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 like the gospel oh my god that has to be it's like it uh, yeah you could spin any yarn as as a it's so easy to do so i i think it's probably somewhere in the middle because like the thing about him is like he's got links to fightful and sean russap and kind of that crew because he used to do content with them like so if he was gonna go anywhere of course he was gonna go there like as soon as i saw the story i was like well i know the source on this one it's mjf himself clearly you know <laughs> like it's 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 you know obvious as, as anything whether that makes it a, a shooter or work i don't know there was ever a character who can, you know, leverage a, a, something like this for Heat, mm. you know, just the very fact that, oh, I'm going to go to WWE, oh, I, you know, res- you're just saying nice, little nice things in interviews about them, you know, mentioning his respect for Bruce Pritchard and things like that in interviews, like, that wouldn't work for a lot of people, but it works absolutely perfect, you know, for MJF and, and the character he's portraying, so that makes me, you know, think, oh, th- th- there's probably an element of work to it. But to me, I, I don't know your read, JP. I do think there's an element there where he's he's working the sheets to an extent, but in a way that's to leverage them, to leverage them on, you know, getting a 
better deal on you know maybe yes there's you know there's a bit of like you know Tony Khan probably finds it amusing that he goes on TV and mentions this stuff but there's probably still a bit of a real element to it of you know the contract term back and forth and it feels like just a a, a power play but not a, a real threat you know that's that's where I kind of land on it I don't think he's ever really going to go to you know to WWE or you know that that's really you know the, all, the, all the stuff about always leaning that way I mean he's clearly directly said that to Sean Rassap on purpose mm. and his motive behind that it's you know 18, it's a Premier League player gambling for a move it, mm. it doesn't matter what way he's leaning right now like mm. he could lean back and forth in different ways 26 times between now and the contract actually comes due. So whatever way he's leaning right now in May of 2022 doesn't matter at all. It's mm-hmm. not a story to me, you know? Mm. It's it's one of these things where it suits a lot of purposes, this story. Yeah. Is he underpaid compared to what the, some of the top liners are getting in AEW? Yes. Does he want to be on their level? Yes. Is he someone worth putting the investment in? Absolutely. Like he is someone who, if you're going to pay a young guy on that top tier money, he's that, you know, and that's kind of, you know, it's a limited shelf life. Mm. You could get an injury at any point in time and that could result in him not being able to, um, uh, not being able to work anymore. So it, it suits that purpose. Like, you know, in a sense that he needs, he needs that, but it also, like you said, it just fits in so well. What's the biggest heel move any AEW character can do? is to threaten to go to WWE, mm. who you might consider to be the big overarching heel within mm. within there, aren't they? That that that's that's what it is, and that's what this does, and it would show him out to be like ultimately he was he was always out for himself. Now he has to have a run there at some point because I imagine in his own mind, like he'll never know unless he goes there at some stage. Mm. I would argue though, like there's so much there that seems to be positioning him in the next year to be the guy mm. like he is is the thing where you have to say like the feuds themselves have been successes mm. like he's someone who like is in and of himself a special attraction and at the age of 25 that's ridiculous mm. but it is one of these it is one of these stories where like if you want to give the, M- the MJF character and you never see him, he's not someone who breaks character so the idea of him going out and talking to people, talking about contracts, con- uh, contract stuff, completely out of character is bullshit. I can remember seeing him and Tony Khan, like, and this would have been when they first announced AEW and they're watch- they at your call. And he was there and he just kind of was completely in character. Any fan who came up to try and talk to him, including me, I just went, all right. And he just stared right through you as if you weren't there. And it's like, ah, oh, good work kind of like that stuff so it all feels like it plays into it and what would play into the character even more is him celebrating that he got this massive new contract from AEW as well mm. so i think there's an element of he does want extra money i think he deserves extra money mm. it's just a case of how they're going to do it it would seem like ridiculous he would say oh no you can have still have the same two-year deal we just double your wages in that time in the hope that you stay mm. at that point then it's foolish it's like you've got to get him to sign a long-term deal yeah, he's a young player fo- yeah i was gonna say it's the football comparison isn't it like I, while i personally would you know sack the entire dark order um andrade family office and like 12 other people to pay him 
you can't do that in the real world because you know you upset upset your wage structure, don't you? You know, there's a there's a hierarchy, and you know, yeah, okay, it's one thing to have you know Punk and Brian and Moxley and probably Jericho, you know, at that top level, and then it it goes down from there. But you know, you don't want to upset it entirely because then you know. Who comes crawling next after MJF? You know, Darby Allen or you know lower down the car, the Ricky Starks or whoever, and then the you know the average contract goes up and up and up. Like I remember the great old days, mate, when uh, under Davy Moyes, when Everton had all, all they got, I think we had a cap on our salary of like it's like forty grand a week or something like that, which is still a fucking lot of money, but it was like one of the lowest like caps in you know the Premier League. And you look at the fucking state after yeah. and now, and you know if if we were to go down the absolute you know shit show, it would be like Sunderland and. And teams before us, where it just be like, "Fuck, we got this this bloke on the on the on the wages for this much money," and that was you know that cap being broken and broken and broken over time, where you know the the level overall you know goes up as well. It's never just one guy. There's always you know the next guy who's got to negotiate, then uses uses that as leverage. So uh, I don't know. I think there's definitely an, an element of game playing going on. It's a way to dominate the news cycle as well. You know, we, we all talked yeah. about this week. It's MJF. You know, there's that to it too, but yeah, I think I land maybe somewhere in the middle between maybe what Alan's saying and some of the more extreme reactions out there. Um, that like I do think it's partly character, but I do think there's a uh, you know some truth to it too. Yeah, and you know, ultimately, what will he get? He he'll get a big contract, and that's what he's kind of duty bound to try and do mm. here, isn't he? And he and he and Tony Khan knows he needs a pay rise, isn't it? I mean, mm. it's, there's a million and one sports analogies depending on what sport you like. That there's so much football management stuff style here that that works, and you see it happen all the time, isn't it? It's players two years out of their contract trying to negotiate going into a Bosman, mm. isn't it? Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. If, if Tony Khan says, "Look, we're not. If you want to, if you want to do a discussion of a new contract, yes, it will involve an increase in pay. Obviously, it also needs to involve something for us on our side, i.e., extra years, so we can have that conversation. But if it's just a conversation, of, I want more money and, and stay the same years." Well, we're not going to have that conversation. We'll discuss your contract when it's coming due, and then we'll discuss both things together. And if Tony is strong in taking that route, then MJF's options are simply just to, you know, keep going on TV and performing as well as he has been, or, you know, half-assing it. And I don't think half-assing it is a good career move. I think the better career move at that point is just keep doing what you're doing and Wait for the wait for the bidding war. You know you've mm. you've uh, you've taken your shot at, at trying to get more money earlier. The the guy hasn't gone for it. Um, he's well within his right not to go for it. And just okay, I, I took my shot. Didn't work out. Just keep going, doing what I'm doing creatively. Like I think the thing is, like these two guys are clearly. Would you guys agree that? MJF is probably the character and wrestler that Tony has been most in sync with in terms of creating yeah. a consistent portrayal since mm. the start of AW that has had nothing but upward momentum. Mm. I don't think there's been a point, and, and like we say it all the time, you guys say it all the time when talking about AW, you criticize AW 
with the knowledge that you're kind of nitpicking as well mm-hmm. because you love it as you said you you love it so much they're doing 80 percent right and it's just like yeah 20 percent or 10 percent you just want it it's the interesting stuff to talk about because it could just mm-hmm. maybe be a little bit better mm-hmm. um but stepping away and looking at the whole thing it's all really good yeah but it's like that 10 percent or 20 percent of criticism that you'd be focusing on sometimes it's more than others um mjf is very rarely in that mix of things the normally it's like mjf segment home run mm. mjf pay-per-view match home mm. run mjf mm. getting more over mjf th- this angle worked this interview worked uh, it's always working with him and tony is obviously going to be seriously invested in like what mjf is doing he's i'm sure got a big hand in that creative process and i'm sure mjf mjf seems the type of hands-on guy that he's heavily involved in what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So that tells me the two of them are working together. And they obviously work together really well because based on the output we see. So, you know, I think it's a good relationship and I'm sure there's a respect there on both sides. And I think it will work itself out. And if there is an issue, like I, I still, like I don't, I don't think it's impossible that Tony is part of, putting this out there too and or like maybe he floated to mjf to like hey use your fightful connections throw this out there it's a little thing to keep us in the news cycle and you I'm, know it's uh I'll be sure great slow burn story he leaves the tight he leaves the company with the aw title that's exactly you know, right. that if, if they don't do a summer of punk i will be shocked like uh, of course whether this is a work or not they're gonna do it aren't they of course <laughs> they are cool. we're never gonna find out if he resigns because they're yeah, gonna do that Mm. Never thought of that. That's brilliant. Throw it, throw it in Punk's face as well. Yeah. If you have him win it from Punk when he mm. did something like that, then then that'd mm. be fucking awesome. <laughs> Amazing, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna that's take your belt to WWE. Like, like imagine it. Oh, that's all I want to see. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I guess it's one of them. I, I think it, it, it's dominating the news cycle this week. Give it a couple of weeks, we probably won't be talking about it again. But MGF will find another way for everyone to, mm. to talk about him. And you're right, you know, that, that he is consistently, you know, one of the best parts of this company and one of the most protective parts of the company. And, you know, we've had that conversation, you know, and we've, you know, like say, nitpicked about, like, say, Hangman Page's title run. And we've talked about, well, who's the real top guy in AEW? There's every argument it's kind of MJF in some ways, you know, as yeah. far as his presentation, like you say, the consistency and see if that presentation and how strongly he's been, you know, handled. Like, yeah, I don't think there's a, there's a second place. But I suppose we all have, and Simon mentions it in the chat, I don't think we've, have we mentioned Brian Pillman? <laughs> like because that's the kind of thing that always comes to mind well like i mentioned his shit son later mate but you know maybe not a... yeah <laughs> he's oh god was he on was he on rampage was he no i just like slagging him off <laughs> oh fair enough um but yeah it's it's the thing that we always go to about mm-hmm. the ultimate example who's someone you know at a time where where guaranteed contracts weren't there and his physical state was all over the place and he managed to negotiate a great deal with WWF and mm. get his release from WCW at the same time and go into ECW so mm. and I'm just thinking that MJF is the guy who before he was there he had no major run in any company mm. like even Hangman had had like had been in the G1 mm. he'd been in Ring of Honor MJF had none of that and he's a main event guy mm. like you know 
he's main he's been in the main event of a of a pay-per-view hasn't he mm. like against moxley like this is this is someone who you look at and they talk about the four pillars it's like you need this guy you need this kind of like shithead heel who pretty much can go in there with anyone and like yeah, it wasn't the last match. It wasn't for the title, but I think the Punk match is going to be really what mm. people remember that last yeah. pay per view for Definitely. most. And like, if you're MJF, strikes me as the type of guy that's smart enough to know that his career isn't going or doesn't need to be defined by how many times he's in the last match of the show or how many titles he wins. He doesn't strike me as the type of guy that cares about that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I think he will have been thoroughly satisfied with what Punk and him did, did. Mm-hmm. and yeah, and their spot on the show. And you know, I, I, I think like it was promoted as a main event. It, it felt like a main event. People treated it as a main event. Mm-hmm. From it was a main event. Yeah, yeah. from seeing him a full of a wrestling and like hearing him talk about Punk and talk about that feud in his own way, you can. T- I mean, because you can tell MJF like for the little glimpses you get of like the real life person, he's a massive wrestling nerd like the rest of us. You know, he the whole act is that he's above it all and he's you know a sports entertainment style guy and he you know he's not a hardcore wrestling fan. He hates Japanese wrestling and all of that stuff. But behind it all, he I do think I do think he doesn't like Japanese wrestling. That's I probably true too. Fair actually, yeah. I have a feeling that is true. <laughs> and I really hope he cuts some anti-forbidden door promos in the for that pay-per-view. Or he could be he could be JBL in the balcony at one night stand for Forbidden Door. <laughs> with an alternate commentary track, we need that. Put that on fire. Yeah, with him and him, him and Sean Spears. Uh, these, Japanese guys, these Japanese guys. Japanese wrestling it's just it's just silence over there the crowds don't even make any noise and actually that would be true in the context of the last <laughs> two years well. as opposed to the myth that, that people like Jericho and stuff that didn't get over in Japan used for three years and years <laughs> Oh yeah, based on a uh, best of the Super Juniors review we're going to do later, I can absolutely say that's uh, categorically true. But uh, I suppose that talking of the the rig, we should probably talk about uh, Dynamite itself before we get into uh, the other big news story in Kota Ibushi and New Japan. And MJF's probably the the good starting point, isn't he? Like as far as like this show goes, like the you know it was a great in ring show. We can get into the matches, but you know the, I think the 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 anchor of this show was you know the the, the through line was you know the CM Punk. Big entrance um, for the John Silver match, where you know, leading into you know the heat he got when he was feuding with MJF uh, with the Long Island crowd, and then yeah, the the whole Bizarro World uh, stuff with a uh, with MJF and uh, and Wardlow. You know, I I remember when we talked about you know the first time they did this, and it's quite funny to listen to the, the torch audio where uh, where you're from, Alan. You know, you hear uh, you know Wade and. Um, and uh, and Todd can be quite critical of you know leaning into this bizarro world stuff and you know MJF getting cheered you know it just in this town you know and Punk getting booed on the on the way to a you know a big title run and maybe the 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 overall problem maybe that creates and maybe that seeping into the AW product over you know the the last six months or so where you know there are some you know alternate reactions to uh, to people and maybe you would want in a in an ideal world but just talked about as like. And I feel like I could do it with this one more as like an, an individual segment rather than last time where maybe we were talking about you know the uh, the uh, the macro rather than the, uh, the than the micro as a segment like this just worked 
so so well for me uh the mjf from wardlow stuff and you just can't help it. you know they're going for bret hart in canada you know this is the second time you know we've uh we've been here now and nobody can pull it off quite quite like mjf can because there's that there's also that plausible deniability isn't there in within the segments themselves where you know you're watching it going he's just what you know he's completely he's basically taking the piss out of this crowd you know he, there's no way the the MJF character means any of the things he's saying there when he's sucking up to the crowd. It's like an additional layer to that character. Sorry, Al. He threw in a couple of little things, just just enough mm. to stay heelish to even them with the you guys in the cheap seats. You're poor, but yeah. we love you. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. That. like that was great. The thing great that made the that. segment for me as great as MJF was. I thought uh, Wardlow's reactions to everything were spot on. Mm. He's he he knows how to portray himself. It's yeah. uh, very uh, he he's definitely studying Q1 2005 Batista. Pizza, yeah. There's there's yeah. no way he's not. Yeah. It's so and it doesn't feel like a ripoff, but it feels like it has all the same good ingredients there. Mm. Um he comes off as a badass monster who's ready to snap and kill people, but also a really cool guy. Yeah. I thought that's what he, that that's what really got nailed here. I, I, in some ways I expect MJF to be able to kind of carry off any of these segments as we've kind of said now, um, uh, previous to this, but so I was looking at Wardlow. How is he reacting to this? This is the kind of stuff where he's going to be being booed. He's in, this is a whole different environment. It's a complete change of dynamic in the storyline. And he just, he did the expression you should do, which is you should just roll with it. Yeah. Not really say too much, kind of recognize what's going on, do the smirk. And you don't, he doesn't need to say anything. And it's the way he carries himself as well. And we were talking about, the ratings on this and the way that it worked. And I think it's probably a notable thing for this show. And I think it says a lot about it. Like I was thinking about this after we finished recording, just how the line kind of stabilized because there was a level of consistency. And I think you, you look at this, you look at where it's placed on the show in the middle of the card and you realize what a big match this is going to be. We're talking about, you know, like the main event is obviously big and feels like a kind of proper main event. This ain't far behind like in terms of audience anticipation, this might end up being the most anticipated match on the night. That's going to be wild because at, in- at the end of the year, we're going to be talking about feud of the year. Number one is going to be Punk MJF. This is probably going to be number two, or if this might be number one, yeah. that might be number two. And they're back to back feuds for MJF. That's insane, isn't it? And no, to your point there as well, I was going to, you know, and to Alan's point about Wardlow maybe aping some mid 2000s Batista. You know, you hope, you hope. Uh, my only worry is like, will we stick the landing, you know, like they did with Batista? Not so much this story, but, you know, when he's off on his own, being his own thing and he's away from MJF and he's, you know, gonna, he's over at a certain point now that he's going to have to work to that point too. But we're seeing every instinct, you know, given us confidence that mm. he will be able to, to to do that even at this you know young stage and in his career worked. but but that's it well yeah and it's like he's 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 definitely studying batista but also there was like you know, you just nailed there there was an element of like steve austin in canada 
you know, if MJF is Bizarro World, is basically Brett in Canada, you know, being that babyface who's now being booed and just going with it, but going with it in a way that's not going to make you, you know, a heel in the in the next town. Yeah. Like, he's nailing that too. He's getting these little things right. Yeah. And yeah, it's giving me confidence that, because it's a gift this, because like considering where he, as much as he was MJF's muscle, but he wasn't high up on the totem pole in AW, was he? He was barely getting matches. Like he was just, you know, he's a, he was a, he was a guy with a lot of potential that, you know, we all thought might make it one day, but literally MJF is elevating him to a point here where he's like, you know, at least up a mid card level to, you know, to potentially yeah. higher. And, you know, I might have had some caution as to whether he'll be able to carry that off long term. Maybe you will, maybe you won't, but he's given me every, you know, reason to be a little bit confident in him with with the way he's handling himself in in these environments well the final environment is 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 his long drawn out dramatic main event style matches and that's what this is going to fall into the category of mm. of those types of matches what the one with cody in the cage was probably the one um memorable. That, he, that, that he probably had the most ex- memorable as well i remember us all being like so pleasantly surprised by his work right and i think the thing that i've ended up reflecting on is in the matches he had with say a w morrissey how he ended up basically being like bouncing off the bigger guy and how he reacted and it's his agility and things like that that really end up coming through to surface and like you say it's his instinct so far he is doing this exactly right and it probably helps he's a bit older and he's a bit more mature and a bit more kind of like, because he's in the early 30s, I think, is isn't he? he? So you really, I, th- I want to say he's like 33. I don't know that. Yeah, that. yeah, born in 88. Bloody yeah. yeah. Like, and you sort of think, okay, so you need to do this. But it's also, he's fresh. And there is a long chance of it. I mean... Very few bumps on his bump card. He, if yeah. you look at how many matches he's had on cage match, he, he wasn't wrestling a very regular schedule on the indies or anything had like one local indie i think in cleveland he worked for a little bit i remember he obviously the night aew played that vignette for him i think it was on one of the first pay-per-views and it was just yeah. in, it was like a lucha underground style one and i remember going on his twitter yeah. account and he had like less followers than me and then like by the end of the show it like multiplied by like tens of thousands he was he's an absolute like complete unknown wasn't he I wonder if he had like um a real good job outside of wrestling or something like that so mm. Um, mm. yeah, he got spotted by the right people, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's, but it's an incre- yeah, it's incredible, um, success story so far. And it's, yeah, it's you know, every reason to think they, they will stick the lander and it, it will be, you know, talked about among feuds of the year by the year, by the end of the year. I mean, by comparison, what did you make of the uh, of the punk stuff on here? You know, him leaning into the, the heat he got last time, come coming out in the. It's hockey jersey, right? Big diss on uh, Kieran Tierney there. Oh, right. <laughs> Steal a joke from Jamesy. Um, everyone seemed to love the. Uh, everyone seemed to love the ice hockey stuff that just went right over my head. Yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Excalibur was uh-huh. laughing there. We needed the. We need an explanation for the Euros. I mean, we all got it. You know, we all worked, worked out. Yeah, I was like, okay, that must be like the rival team, and I was like, oh wait, no, it's not. It's they're actually from there. And then when he turned around, I was like, oh right, it's like you know after Rooney left Everton, like coming out with a, an Everton top with Rooney on the back, basically. Like okay. we all yeah. worked it out, didn't we? You know, even if they didn't uh, baby us with it. It's good old school heat. We've seen it. You know, it, wrestlers do it over here, haven't we? Like, I like his, I like his, I like his sell of the uh, red rum from Hook in the after the show oh, went off the air. Yeah. They did, that. did you see that, JP? That I did. That yeah, was with Dan Housen. Yeah, oh, you can, you know, Punk's got like there's a, you know, he's 
because he's having the time of his life in AW, isn't he? You can just see him. He's just geeking out and just loving every moment. You know he's got like an entire heel run planned. He knows exactly what he's going to do, who he's going to work, the promos he's going to cut. You know, nights like this are ones where, you know, he's getting to getting to play with that. I mean, do you agree that there's maybe any negative there in doing that in this week? Because I think the tone of the the Hangman Page feud is a little bit weird for me. Like the, you know, Hangman last the week before this, you know, cutting that angry promo, which, you know, did come off a little bit heelish. And I remember I was saying at the time, JP, a bit weird considering, you know, it, it felt a bit like they, they were throwing the towel in in some ways and like, well, Punk's going to get cheered over Hangman. So let's, let's lean into the, you know, Hangman doing a meaner side. But with this show coming after it, I mean, it was obvious what the dynamite was going to be. You know, Punk was going to get was going to get booed and Hangman was going to get cheered. But then mm. I don't know if I thought Hangman came off Chris, you know, a little bit petty, being so angry that you know Punk had you know dared to steal his move and he came out. You know, here is is there any negative to doing this a couple of weeks out from the pay per view? Does it hurt the momentum of the feud at all? I don't think it hurts the momentum of the feud, but I think what you need if you want to put something in place is like a sit down segment with Jim Ross. Let's just say for argument's sake, do one of those segments where you can kind of thrash it out, but in a way that they both can kind of not, it doesn't have to be kind of, it seems to have got very intense very quickly between them without it being, and that's the problem of them missing weeks. It's the, isn't it? It's the problem of of Hangman having COVID at Mm. one point and, and Punk being off because he was filming, wasn't he? So you you have that kind of, that, that kind of issue uh, between them, but I've got confidence they'll bring it back in the next couple of weeks. It's not that I think it's gone off track. I think there's just a point where they need to have a kind of exchange, but in some ways I'd like them to just take the fan dynamic out. I think it'd be better for the kind of TV program as opposed to the live audience by having that kind of like a, a bit more of a sit down where they can sit down and actually effectively talk about their character motivations. My biggest issue with it is simply they've run out of time. I don't, like you said, getting it back on track over the next couple of weeks, JP, it's like they, they have this week's Dynamite and then they go home. That's yeah. it. Um, yeah. So, like, I I like the dynamic. I like both characters. I'm excited for the match. I would just like them to be able to flesh it out a little bit more. And it felt like, to me, it felt when it was announced or when we knew it was going to be happening, it was like, oh, great, we're way out from the pay-per-view here. Mm. There's loads of time to really give this a journey and it just kind of evaporated like like you guys said there was a week they both missed but even still it just felt like the weeks they were on like I, I've liked everything they've done maybe this past week was the one I liked the least but I liked I really liked both promos the two guys cut individually um, but it was like as great as those two promos were that was probably about six minutes of content overall in a two-week period, mm-hmm. um, building into the biggest the biggest uh, title match they've arguably had in the company on paper. So it's like they've kind of just not been able to do enough with them. Um, I'd like to see more promos. I'd like to see more squash matches like Punk had over Silver this week. I'd like to see a six-man tag or something with whoever um just those type of things uh to to really get me um salivating for the match uh but 
no, it's going to come upon us and just kind of got to, we better be ready for it, I think. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know. I will. <laughs> I will. I'll be crying in the stands, face. <laughs> you'll have the, you'll have the, uh, the whole flight over there that you'll be mapping it out in your head. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> if it doesn't make sense, I'll make it make sense, face. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, that's the thing. I think with Hangman, like, I think the delivery in that segment that you know a lot of people loved a couple of weeks ago was great it was the content that was lacking it was the it was almost like he skipped a line or like you said jp we skipped a week why is he so angry what is he mad about i like that he's mad but what's he mad about you know what's his justification mm. i expect we'll get it but you know knowing aw there's you know we're two weeks out from the pay-per-view and this is a kind of a problem you know but remember when tna went from monthly pay-per-views to like every few months and it was like they just go quiet for a couple of months and then it'd be like, oh shit, there's three weeks to go and there's yeah. a pay-per-view. Like, it feels a little bit like that because we've got two weeks now to get everything set up. And I wonder whether it will it will get prior to place, you know, two weeks in a row. Or we've probably realistically got one big segment between them, you know, between now and the pay-per-view. No, in the way, you know, AEW cram things into their, their show. So I'm a little bit worried there. But considering the, you know, the two people, I'm sure... I'm sure things will be straightened out and I'm sure, you know, we've got good stuff to, to go. It's just, yeah, a little bit... Um, uneven as we go at this point but i mean outside of you know punk hangman what else did we uh enjoying the show i would say you know alan this was a this was a strong you know dynamite from a from an in-ring point of view we were talking on the on the weekend show on friday and um, mm-hmm. so we uh, pulled out the stat that i think there have been five i think three star plus matches on this show you know uh, it was a high high water level on this show and um lots to to enjoy as far as uh matches go on this one um, like the main event is the thing that I'll remember. Like it was completely absurd, but like, it was. Like, I was, I was kind of like sometimes on dynamite. I'll be, I'll be all jazzed up at two thirty, and I'll be making food, and I won't be able to get to sleep after the show ends. Other weeks, I'll be starting to fade after the two hour point, two a.m. point, and uh, and I'll be like, oh, and it'll be a struggle to kind of get to the finish line. Um, this was one of those weeks and then that main event just totally woke me up and i was like oh what the hell so yeah like that it was just crazy that's the thing that stands out to me um cole and harwood i'll be honest like i could tell it was good but it was a combination of me just kind of settling into the show not really fully it just kind of yeah, not really fully kind of getting into the match. Just it was often running so quickly, and I just never really, they never really grabbed a hold of me. Um, but I could tell they were doing kind of good stuff. Um, I kind of think I need a break from Dax Harwood singles matches and his yeah. tribute spots. And as people who were on Twitter during that match saw, I had a little, uh, I had a little moment with Jr's commentary and. Um, uh, got numerous dms from various people in and around <laughs> the wrestling industry all uh, uh venting uh frustrations or uh irritations that they know they can't say publicly but they were very happy for me to stay on their behalf <laughs> what did you say i missed this this was a twitter controversy i didn't gonna didn't get oh did you it. oh geez I, I just ignored i just left my phone away for all the thursday Good tip. I, I checked in on my phone i i because I went into the office on Thursday, so I was kind of busy. 
um, and didn't even think wrestling or internet or anything. And I went to Specsavers after after work. And while I was in the waiting room, I was like, oh, I'll have a look to see my notifications or whatever, or DMs. And the like, notifications were just insane. And I was like, well, just fucking leaving this go. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, it was, uh, yeah, there was you know, all these all these randos arguing in my mentions with each other. Like I had stopped being part of the conversation. I love them arguing with each other about like, like the typical AWWE. My tweet about Jim Ross turns into these randos arguing about, they haven't broken the 1 million barrier. So (laughs) you're just a WWE shill Alan 4L who runs the pro wrestling. No, no, (laughs) I wasn't even getting attacked all that much. It was just, I, my tweet seemed to spark all these other, uh, um, uh, fights, but um, anyway, uh, yeah, it was just a tweet about it. Jor has been anyone who follows me on Twitter knows I'll throw out a Jor a Moni Jor tweet from time to time because he his commentary irritates me as it does a lot of people. But uh, the the one recently is every week he's been really harping on um, whenever Dax. It's always Dax whenever Dax takes his. Uh, Bret Hart bump off a turnbuckle whip, um, sternum first. JR has to make a point of taking that turnbuckle just like the great Bret Hart. Bret Hart was always great. At da, da, da. And I'm like, that, he, he, it would just be like a little passing comment most weeks. And it irritates me for a second because it just, why would that make sense in kayfabe that you're, but anyway, this week he really hammered at home he was like brad hart nobody could take a turnbuckle like him he really executed it well when he would take that unique style and he just kept going on about it of like like, you're not doing a podcast right now what the fuck (laughs) what the fuck man (laughs) and i did a lot of that yeah i did a little little all caps uh giving out a tweet about it and uh a lot of people um got a kick out of it or yeah, thanked me for saying what they knew they couldn't say. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, and he, he there's definitely there's there's time where like me and you JP will go hard on on JR, you know, and it's like and then there's times where I would probably say, you know, over the last few months I've kind of forgotten about it, you know? Like when when Jim Ross is not like maybe it's cuz Jericho's become my um, a current boo boy on commentary, but when 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 he's not I don't know when I'm not paying attention to it or when like he fades into the background, that's the best JR for me. That's the best compliment I can play when I don't notice JR. When he falls asleep. When he yeah. Falls asleep on yeah. Yeah. But every now and then you do get like, you know, grouchy, you know, he needs his nap, JR, moaning about tag ropes or people catching dives or and it does, it leans into that podcast kind of, you know, analysis rather than, you know, you're supposed to be calling it like it's a shooter here, Jim, and you know, some of the things you complain about feel like, you know, akin to what you're doing it's just also random like i've managed to tune him out for quite a while much in the same way i actually tune out quite a bit of uh, even bits of shivani's commentary except shivani like is into the storylines and and really is on top of what's going on whereas jr just kind of feels like it's just all over the place at this point but this is one of the weeks where i kind of noticed him and it was just like he would say stuff and he'd just be completely extraneous. He wouldn't be adding oh. anything. It'd be the opposite of the thing that he would have been getting really angry at other commentators <laughs> I mean. for doing, mm-hmm. which yeah. is you're not commentating on the match. The fundamental key to it all is just like Excalibur's 
doing it. Sh- Sh- Tony's on top of it. He is. I don't know if Shivani's literally. I don't think Shivani's ever made a point. <laughs> he just talks. I don't think he actually. There's any content to what Shivani says. He's just. He's your, he's your I, granddad I, I, watching modern I, wrestling I, and having a good storyline. I love him. No, I think. I think Tony does that. I think Tony does a nice job with stuff, with putting stuff over with, with yeah. certain reactions as well. But Benno, it does feel like validation I, I, I when he enjoys stuff. You're like, you're a, you're a bit like, oh, it's like my granddad watching me wrestling with me and and liking, you know, yeah. that, you know, something. It's like it is nice. Benno, you should um, you should check your plane tickets for next week because uh, I didn't notice this myself watching the show, but a, a, a little birdie told me that. Uh, um, Apparently, uh, J.R. Um, mentions uh, on several occasions uh, about the pay-per-view next week hailing from uh, Chicago, Illinois. So <laughs> just uh, <laughs> m- make sure that's where you're going. Because <laughs> J- the great Jim Ross wouldn't be wrong. Uh, he, fu- he fucked that up on the intro to the last pay-per-view as well, didn't he? It was like, well, where are we, Tony? <laughs> it's like, oh, mate, Jim. Nothing will right. nothing will ever top the amazing video package they put together for the last daily play daily's play show. Yeah. Yeah. All our great memories here as we, the WWE, <laughs> end our run in Daily's Place for whatever it was. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Trodden all over. Oh, so funny. Oh. I think we're we're just past the point, aren't we? Where like you know that that name value of Jr. that I'm sure gets you in the door with some TV execs. Is it where you know when you've got so many of the great commentators on on contract or Ian Riccoboni sat right there and you could use you know the you could fucking bring in Dave Prezak, you know if you if you if you want to give Excalibur more work. It's just yeah, uh, it's past the sell by date. But he wasn't 2002, but that's a that's a controversial battle of it. I mean, I would have said just to go back to the to the main event as well. Oh yeah, where I, I just wanted to say like one of the things I, I kind of really wasn't looking forward to it because I was slightly annoyed. I just thought this is the kind of match you want to be putting on a pay per view, and I still hold that thought. But it was much more mental than I thought it was going to be. Like yeah. I didn't like that that dive off the that ladder. In what circumstances do you need a ladder that big? What just to go like just directly to like that too big? For the like, bread opening credits, it is an accident way big, to happen, you know? and it was. But like you see, you know, we're numb to seeing people do these kind of dives off ladders and stuff like that. And that one was just like Jesus Christ! Like even by their standards, there is. I'm. I just look at Derby Allen. I was just thinking, Hardy took a bit. Bit of that, like, kind of, you know, would have taken a bit of that force, but not a whole lot. And he just landed on the chairs and just carrying on. See? And then fucking up for the post match as well. I, I just, it was crazy shit, but they need to go back to it. Like, it's one of these things now, I think, where they need to give it that proper amount of pay per view time where it feels special on a big card. That's because it's like a perfect distraction match, and they feel I kind of feel like they blew it a bit too early. It's something they could have built to didn't need him in the tournament, didn't need Jeff Hardy in this tournament. And I think when when you say that, people think you're saying you know people go well, hang on, you got it for free on TV, so what's the issue? You still got your match, but it's like no, you you want it, you just want it to feel you know as special as it can. I wanted to get that feeling of like. You know, as much as I enjoyed it, you know, 2001 when Jeff Hardy and Rob Van Dam had that match at the Invasion pay-per-view, wanted it to yeah. feel like that, you know, you know, give me some foreplay, work me up, get me, you know, get me ready for it, get me, you know, it just felt a bit 
Yeah, I didn't. I, like, I think you, you nailed it. I wasn't ready. And for then announcing it. anything goes. Yeah, for shits yeah. and giggles. Which is, yeah. Again, very entertaining. I loved it. But yeah, I would rather. You know, it's the type of thing I would like to. to you know, to look forward to. It's the type of thing I would like to have that extra gravitas of being like a a big pay per view match. And like you said, JP, the other thing is time. You know, I'd like it to to not have it in the back of my head while the TV show finishes in five minutes. Here, you know, it's it's you're not asking for another half an hour, but you know, just a little bit more. You know, pride of place, um, but the content of it was fucking great. You're right, and it takes takes a lot to shock me or make me think fucking mm-hmm. hell on a big on a big ladder spot these days. And that was, you know, certainly one of them. Yeah, it was absolutely balmy. I mean, and and Simon mentioned in the chat as well. The one that the steel stairs that Jeff Hardy did, the swans on the yeah, mist. Yeah, it was not too. I was sh- I was surprised at that because he looked like he was struggling to walk on the way down. Like that's always a thing with him now. You re- it starts to become quite pronounced. And looks like they're setting up them and the Bucks, I imagine, for double or nothing, which is like a really, you know, if you want to make that, it'll be it'll be a special match in terms of it being an AW, even though we've seen it in in Ring of Honor and the like as well. I think that's always something that that kind of feels like it's going to be a big match, and they haven't revisited for a while. Ring of Honor did great business off the back of that, so mm-hmm. you'd imagine that that could be the kind of match that could attract a few extra pay per view buys and should be a hell of a lot of fun um thinking other big happenings i suppose the other thing is uh you know we got the uh brian and uh and mox uh coming out to uh to help kingston the lads in the uh jericho appreciation society segment no yeah. homicide unfortunately alan that the just, that just what benno wanted for seeing brian danielson live uh, match <laughs> against jack swagger uh i mean if you do it in the mma cage maybe i'd be into it but yeah <laughs> it's uh it's you know i <laughs> one of them you know i i definitely bought into the uh, the rumor and conjecture that it might be homicide and uh hernandez i was convinced that you know you could imagine someone having a word with jericho and going yeah but we could put conan with them you know you make charles you know they could come together and they could you know there could be a whole thing there i suppose you know not a bad uh plan b uh, brian and uh and mox here and yeah like like everyone else kind of i was watching this going hang on wheelies is there but obviously wheel is going to be uh going to be in uh in japan for the uh, the foreseeable but is this going uh, is the Jer- is the jericho regal segment next week just literally there so that real can uh can announce instead of shouting war games he's gonna shout blood and guts is that what again i mean rather that than uh stadium stampede i suppose but yeah, um, seems seems you know short notice for that to happen at the pay per view. I suppose it could be a a dynamite coming up or or something like that. But certainly seems that's the uh, the direction we're going in. Yeah, because it wouldn't feel like them being in it kind of takes it away in some ways from it being Eddie Kingston and Santana on ET's issue, isn't it? They kind of just end up um, like coming out. I've just seen Sarah's comment. <laughs> Who put that golf shot on the YouTube? <laughs> In proper Father Jack style. Um, about me, Alan, don't worry. It, it feels, <laughs> I think, that most weeks, Sarah, for me, honestly. Um, <laughs> but it, it is one of these things where them coming into it does kind of overshadow it in a way. Like, that's the only thing it t- sort of takes. It. And I'm not saying that the stuff with Santana or, or, and Jericho that I didn't particularly enjoy as uh, the match they had last week, but it, it it does make it does feel like a kind of rush job to get to it. I mean, I prefer it to be blood and guts, to be honest with you. And you don't need to do some ridiculous acrobatic stunt off the top of the cage. The '92 one, the IWC War Games, that would have had like you know that only had Medusa climbing on top of the cage. 
dropping in like the wrench, which ultimately ends up being hitting Larry's the 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 great Larry's Abisco match. Um, the <laughs> see it doesn't it doesn't need you could just have a, like a violent bloody brawl if that's going to be the case and if that's what they're hoping to achieve with it and you know it could be fun everyone will be just pissing blood by the end because they all seem to love that shit. I think that's where we're going. But oh well, homicidal. Uh, if you were to uh, if on the the dynamite before. I I don't think it's in the same arena, but it's it's in Vegas. The Dynamite next week, right? Ben, you'll be at that, won't you? So, if between that and Rampage, which I'm sure they'll put some big matches on those two shows, um, and they'll probably save some big matches for the California show the following week, um, for the two shows you're going to, if they were to pull off any singles matches or a tag match, say a two on two tag from that five on five. What would you most like to see? Probably this probably works best because not even so much what I'd want to see, it's just logistically, because you need the two rings, don't you? And you need to set yeah. up the entire are they gonna want to do that for double or nothing? I think because that California show, I'm gonna be at that as well on the, the Wednesday after. Oh, and, um, yeah, yeah. And unfortunately I haven't had me uh, my press pass yet, Andy, but hopefully uh, hopefully it's coming. I'm uh, I'm hearing positive things in uh, in that direction. But yeah, I'll be there. That's in uh, Ontario um California. Until they listen to the show, mate. <laughs> if you listen to our first show, we're fucked. Um, oh, we're fucked. But yeah, that's I mean that's a big place as well. So I could imagine them wanting to put something in that and yeah i think i think mm. if, you, if you are gonna do blood and guts and they did the last time didn't they it was a dynamite match rather than a than a pay-per-view match and you can do it it's just a little bit awkward timing isn't it with you know obviously the pay-per-view coming up at the same time but is there kind of what, what is getting at is i suppose is there any singles match that you that you think you could pull out of this that because the thing with jericho's team is like all oh, the 2.0 guys mm. the 2.0 guys i love they're awesome, but them against like anyone on the other team in a singles match or a tag, it, it's not really yeah. something you'd be salivating for. And we've already seen Garcia versus Danielson. I, seeing it again could be good. Um, I don't know. Like, There's no pairings from the five-on-five five that I can think of off the top of my head that I really want to see. I don't want to see Hager against anyone. Um, they could just go back to Kingston and Jericho. I was going to say. You could get, I mean, I suppose, yeah. you know, we're doing this, you know, I'm assuming this segment this week with um, Jericho and Regal, other than them, you know, getting together and having a great chat about uh, that fantastic WrestleMania 17 match. Um, it might be an avenue for. He pissed in the cup. It was Jericho, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. Yeah. Uh, it I could... hope they have a chat about disco biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> enjoy that but it it, it could be and crisps too but it could be um, that, was, that was some that was some tweet regal had the other thing <laughs> sometimes he gets all yeah i'm a big fan of regal as a, as a promo as a commissioner and as a tweeter it's just uh it's just the matches where i yeah where i fall down but no i think he could like it could be something where like jericho you know attacks him and brian makes the save and you get brian and jericho it's not you know, massively well built up, but that's a pay per view caliber match. You know, if you're not doing the Kingston rematch, Moxley even. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you can do. I mean, you can do some of those, but it feels like it's just going to be extraneous stuff to have a big schmoz, which then yeah. leads then blood and guts. So it, it's difficult because you kind of got to have Danielson and Moxley on there. Obviously, Wheelie U is away in Japan as well you know as we'll talk about but 
so it feels like a tag with them. So I haven't think to do Jericho and Garcia, but that feels very much like predicted exactly what will happen and what kind of match it'll be. So like, yeah, it's, it's weird. I mean, if they could just do a five on five, what Sting and the Hardys did last month, some batshit brawling around the arena. Have it be that. Tell what the uh, they did a a good job of setting up on Dynamite. Dan, as much as I've not been into it, Dan Hauser and Hook against uh, Tony Nese and Smart Box Taylor. I I enjoyed them turning turning things on it on it uh, on its head here with Dan Hauser getting the big entrance, Tony Nese getting the currently in the ring treatment, and then Tony Nese just smashing through Dan Hauser. I thought that was really well done. Um, I don't really understand Hook's motivation to team with him, but you know, as far as like a you know a buy-in type match uh, build-up, I thought that was quite clever. Danhausen is a buy-in type wrestler. That's all he ever did in Ring of Honor. It, it's really smart because that's going to like those are all guys who have big internet followings who will tune in and watch it on YouTube and then get hit over the head about buying the pay-per-view over and over and see all the video packages and then like it's it's perfect. They they used Hook on buy-in last mm. time and they're using him in an even better role for attracting people to YouTube this time. Um, I think it's a smart play. I'm like, look, I said this on Twitter recently. The last when Hook debuted and when we were all Hookamania was running wild, and first few months <laughs> of seeing this guy, I, the last thing I would have ever thought to do with him would be, um, tag team meme irony tag team with Dan Housen. Mm. I would have been like, I would have been vomiting in my mouth at the thought of that. But seeing it in practice and then thinking, stopping and thinking it through rationally, I'm like, this makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. One, why do you need to rush hook? Two, this is only going to make him more over to a, a part of the crowd that are like, listen to the reactions Dan Hesem gets. He might not be my cup of tea, although to be honest, he's starting to grow on me a little bit. Um, All right, but uh, <laughs> was that? All right, Lanza. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> a shocker. How was he into Dan Housen? How's that a thing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, like, I don't know. It's, uh, I suppose I had never really seen the... I, I had a... I had never really seen the character or I didn't understand it or anything. And I just had decided I hated it, to be honest. Hmm. And seeing it in practice, it's kind of just harmless. Like, and and he's clearly really popular. And like... He's not going to be a guy that comes out and I'm not going to react to him ever like those crowds react to him. Mm. But he's harmless and I get the odd chuckle at him. Um, But I can see where he has this big following and I think having Hook get that, I hate to say it, the Danhausen rub, but it is a thing, I think. And you don't want to have it overstay its welcome, but I mean... Like, look how it's like a mini version of Rock and Sock. Actually, I just did the Foley show there um, on PW Torch, and we were talking about Rock and Sock. And like, when you think of the dynamic there, and like how that appealed to, um, you know, fans that maybe don't necessarily care about like seeing great hard nosed wrestling matches or whatever, but are just there for their fave characters and entrances and spots and they'll pop every time Dan Housen curses someone like 
this plays to those fans and it's gonna make Hook, I think I think it just it gives him something to ease him in just that bit more. Let him do something different to you know, add some extra like he might flop doing this stuff, like it might not be for him at all, but you find out and then or you might find that he has these amazing comedic talents and it's like, okay, that's a thing to um to know he's like if the, if the Rock never did comedy stuff, you would have never known that he could do that stuff. So, and arguably that was a big part in making him as big of a star as as he was. So, like I, I think there's positives to it. I don't think you're wasting time because there's so many other guys there. It has a nice little slot on the show. Um, at some point, they'll break it up and go a different direction, a more serious direction with Hook, uh, and I think it'll work fine. And I think it'll work just as well if not better than it would have worked if you started serious hook program going for TNT title right now. A lot of time um, for that, isn't there? You know, there's years for that. Yeah. You don't need to do that now. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, like he's probably improving a shitload behind the scenes that we're not seeing, you know, it's more reps that he's doing training. Um, just more time around the business, more time understanding business, more time talking to veterans like CM Punk and, people like that who've obviously taken an interest in him, he's going to offer a whole hell of a lot more in a year than he will right now. So what's the rush? When you've got guys like Ricky Starks who are ready to be built right now, Shane Strickland, Keith Lee, all these guys, it's time to use them right now and and push them. Um, Where's the rush with a guy like Hook? So it's kind of right. And yeah, it's it's a fun little harmless thing is how I kind of view it. I agree with all of that, except I, I just can't. I, I just can't stand Dan Housen. <laughs> but this match was quick. Did you like his music at least, JP? Do you know, no, not really. I'm just predisposed. <laughs> I like that he's. Like I like that he's away from best friends. Like that made no sense to like tie him to Orange Cassidy. Like let those acts be their own thing. You know. Yeah, like, they needed to be their own thing anyway for this. But I agree. But I agree with all of that, and I think Hook on a should always. He should just be a buy-in regular. Like he should, that's what he should be doing because he gets that crowd hot for like yeah. buy in matches. That's that's the job, like in some ways, that he's become he's like the heater, but also it's a tag match and you know they'll do various bells and whistles, they'll win. Mark Sterling will look like a fool, the, the, it writes itself, but everyone will everyone will love it. And I'll sit there looking at Dan House and going, I don't get it, but it appears to be working, so it's not about appealing to me, is it? Well, I, th- I, th- I do think. Well, like- that that okay, match this week ending the way it did and then like you said yeah. quick time and then being squashed like you know immediately he's never going to be you know he's not he's not going to be a legitimate threat he's not going to be shoved down your throat as far as in matches go that makes him a bit more, yeah. a lot more terrible to me than than you know what the alternative might have been which is to make him look like a at least semi competitive wrestler which you know they, you're they could, no skits. they could do skits where like you know, this would get over skits where Hook is training Danhausen to make him better, so that he doesn't get the, destroyed like that. And then, like in some match, he's getting destroyed, but he gets a little bit of a comeback and he makes a hot tag, and Hook just cleans house with suplexes, and everything works out in the end, and everyone goes home happy. Type thing, you know. It's um, there's things, there's so there's a lot you can do with it, and it seems like it's something that people want. Um, yeah, the Danhausen side of things, maybe it's not for us completely but it's it's working i've got another example of something that um 
maybe I don't get fully or I, mm. but is clearly working and is uh, I think I think they've got magic with is uh, the baddies I think yeah I didn't even understand like that this was like a, a word that people use on the internet until they start <laughs> Sarah to explain it to me um, but uh, yeah they they seem to be working really well as a unit with chemistry that are getting over and uh, Jade's it just adds to Jade's presence, and I, I think that's, she can wrestle I think tags. that's a group. What's that? She can wrestle tags, just yeah. getting those reps in in a different way. I think that's absolutely crucial to it. Plus, Red Velvet Kira Hogan now will end up meaning something within yeah. AEW because she came in and was completely under the radar. Like, yeah, this thing's about the storyline with Red Velvet, but I'm kind of with you. It, it's, it's, we haven't got any women's fact, like really proper women's factions. Women's and this feels like a proper, yeah, a proper women's fact. And it feels like we're kind of, we're, we're kind of getting one. It they always feels have like modern, it, it feels like modern and current. Mm. Um, yeah. And a lot of the stuff about it is like references I don't get, which I think is a good thing because I'm a yep. 36 year old, uncool white guy who's about to turn 37. <laughs> so, you know. I, I think there's, I I, th I think there it's I think they're onto a winner with it. I think it's going to draw a lot of people in. I think people will flick the channels and see them and think they're cool, you know. Mm -hmm. um, younger people, cooler people than me will think that. <laughs> well, it's the uh, the Stokely conversation we were having in the pre-show, wasn't it? You know about being aware of what's happening in the world. I could. I, I actually this this last week is the most I've enjoyed Mark Sterling. Like I was just like, get him out the way, give Stokely that job. Oh. This week, those little bits of interaction with him and Jade are very much yeah, enjoyed. I, no, I think he's I think he's perfect for Benno. I don't think mm. Stoke. I see people say Stokely should be with them or with Jade, but when you think it true, it's like who has Stokely been good with? Like where has he been effective? It's with like uncharismatic, generic athlete guys like catch point he works with them because he brings the personality jade doesn't need that she's all the personality you could ever want the perfect manager for her is a complete nerd like mark sterling you know um i think that work that dynamic is perfect she can she can push him around and all this stuff yeah i, I think you put stokely with like They've put Tony Nese with Mark Sterling. I think Tony Nese would probably do better with Stokely than he would with Mark Sterling. Although I think Tony Nese is a ceiling. I wouldn't weigh Stokely on him. But there's there's a bunch of guys you could put Stokely with that I think would be a much better fit than um I don't think it would be bad. I just don't I think, think they have chemistry. I think he'd be good at playing that kind of like Jade's this goddess and he's being bullied around by her. But I know what you mean, yeah. there's other things you can do. Yeah, they, they don't need him. He doesn't need them. I think there's probably better fits. Um, so, well, yeah, that was a, a highlight of a uh, of rampage uh, for me. That segment. I mean, we'll keep this brief because JP hasn't seen it because you don't need to see it, mate. And there were, you know, there are only three hundred thousand people who actually saw it anyway. So don't need, you need to spend exactly. too much time on rampage. And if there is another else on dynamite, you another three hundred k. Why bother? In. 
yeah, it was. I mean, it was headline best copy of Sky Frankie Kazarian. What you expect? Um, but I mean, you know, match wise, I, I did enjoy. Uh, any anytime you get a death triangle uh, six man on a show, I'm gonna be happy. Um, I thought that was uh, that was some fun. Um, you know, Rio and Ruby Soho was was all right, and you know, Scorpio Sky, and, Scorpio Sky and uh, Frankie Kazarian was a. Uh, you know, a three-star match from two very good professional wrestlers. I mean, I don't, you, you, you could have not watched it and known what you got out of that. Maybe 3.25, maybe 3.5, what a push it was, what it was, you know. But it was more the booking afterwards that's the uh, the big real head-scratcher out of that. But uh, I don't think you need to see the match to know what the match was like, JP, uh, I'd say, for that one. Did you have any uh, particular highlights, uh, Alan? Um, I Just for the whole show, like, I really loved that trios match. I thought that was really good. Another... Um, good sign for the upcoming trios division that we're surely going to get. Um, I thought the the women's match was was very good. I always like Rio. I think Rio is excellent. I'm definitely a Rio fan. Um, Cut the music uh, out, and then we want something. <laughs> <laughs> the main event. Um, I thought it was like aggressively fine for the most part, but there was one spot. There's like this crazy cutter spot during it that. Uh, I think it's Kaz takes this insane bump, or it might have been the other way around. But uh, yeah, there's a spot that had me jump off the couch towards the end of that match. So it was really, really good. The booking, Jesus, I don't know what's going on there. It's I'm I keep I'm keeping that whole thing at such arm's length. Um, I got on him on Twitter about it, and uh, he clearly didn't listen. Uh, Ethan Page needs to stop screaming. Um, I thought he did listen when uh, I told him. Uh, he was coming off as Brian Pillman Jr. and that seemed to uh, that seemed to wake him up. He he, 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 reali- he realized he, he realized then that he was uh, things weren't uh, maybe as, as good as he thought when I was seeing uh, Brian Pillman Jr. in his promos. But uh, then he comes back out the next week and he's even shoutier and louder. And uh, I think it's, it's terrible. I think it's the the situation he's in because like he came in when he came into AEW. Like, I was a big proponent. Like, he's going to get over immediately. No, maybe not to MJF's level, but, like, as a promo, he was always one of my favourites on the indies. And I remember Gareth hadn't really seen much of him. And, like, three weeks in, Gareth just being like, thought you talked this guy up. And it wasn't working. And they've reset him and they've put him in this crew. And, you know, as far as a guy that doesn't need someone to talk for him, like, he will be near the top of my list. But whatever, it's kind of gotten over as a as an act with, with Dan Lambert. But... I feel like that's what he's doing. He's kind of because he's with Dan Lambert and because he, you know, he's, mm. he's fighting for attention and space and trying to, you know, make this unit make any sense. He's kind of being a bit Dan Lamberty and he's being a bit shouty and he's, you know, I'm still enjoying it. I still think the content is good and I still think he come, comes across well. You know, looks a star. You know, uh, great, great taste in shirts. That man might uh, might buy a couple for me. Uh, mm. Be Vegas trip. Um, but you know, charisma dripping off him like he's got. Big single star in AEW, I think, written all over him. But yeah, it's a, uh, it's just, I think, more, it's more just an odd fit that, that that this crew is even a thing. And then you add in the the weird booking where, like, I think the people who were raving about, you know, this great moment for Scorpio Sky winning that ladder match, and oh, it's validation, and now he's over. It's like, I mean, he got cheered because he beat Sammy Guevara, and now we're doing a weird thing where actually, no, he is a heel all along, and he was he was in on it with 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 Lambert and uh, and Ethan Page, and he is a heel actually, just kind of undoes that, and now he's just once again just a guy with the TNT belt, and you've got the weird situation where Sammy and Ty Conti are running out for the save and getting booed, and you know. 
who's the baby face, who's the heel. It felt it just felt like they course corrected on this entire thing. Felt like Tony had taken the feedback on, and we outright said in interviews, you know, they, they weren't getting the reaction I wanted, so we course corrected. Um, I don't know, this feels like a step backwards to where we were. Like, yeah, who's the baby face, who's the heel? They're just all fucking unlikable, aren't they? And it's just a sour end to a show. Draw, draw a line under it, put the TNT title on Takeshita and just let him have it for six months and defend it every week in awesome matches. Yeah. <laughs> just put it on someone who's going to have wrestling matches. Let's just cleanse How, it, yeah. Shit's good. But you just go, I'm just going to uh, open challenge every week. Simplest fucking storyline in the book. And do you know what? Last time I did it, it worked. Worked a treat. Go with that. I'll go with that. Um, but yeah, any other thoughts on AEW, Rampage, Dynamite or otherwise? Mm. Uh, just my biggest thought with AEW right now is how they are going to I tried to map out the card on at the end of Dynamite last week and there's just so many matches I don't know how they're going to squeeze everything in yeah. and everyone onto that card like I, I put up my list of matches and like people are like what about the revival it's like, oh. it's like there, there's like what was rumoured was terrifying what's that wasn't it rumored with like them teaming with Ric Flair against? Oh, that was an indie the show, Rock I think. Rollins. Yeah. Oh, is that an indie? Well, show? that might be the Conrad yeah. thing. Maybe that's the match. Is that the Conrad show? Is that the match for the Conrad show? That sounds about right. Yeah, it's, I I just don't know how they're gonna how he's gonna piece together this pay per view, but I'm sure he's got it in his head. I'm sure he's gonna use those TVs before and after. I think some matches will that's go right. to that. I think a Joe versus Jay Lethal seems destined for one of those TV shows. Rampage. Um, Maybe, yeah. So, uh, because, yeah, you just can't put everything onto that pay-per-view. There's no, can't have 13 matches on there, you know? So, yes. I think that 10-man tag is going to go, definitely, and maybe we don't get, like, a singles replacement. But, yeah, you know, you got your Owen finals. you got, you know, the, the T's and Bucks and Hardys, as uh, I think you said in your, in your tweet, yeah. Alan. There's a lot there. Um, Three-way tag match. Which one's that? Yeah. The uh, Jurassic Express oh, right. um, first team Taz and um, and it says it says a lot that that'll be two pay-per-views in a row that they've had to go a three-way for the tag titles just to find a way to get everyone involved yeah. because um, yeah it's Death Triangle House of Black's being built as well I assume that's going to be a pre-show match maybe or yeah. a Rampage match because it was last time wasn't it um, it, was pre- pre-show, it was pre-show last time pre-show. yeah, yeah. It was great. It was like it was like as far as pre-show matches go, it was absolutely superb stuff. Yeah, really good. Well, guess we'll uh, we'll see as the uh, the weeks go by. But I suppose we can we can move on from AEW into New Japan, and we've got two shows to uh, to talk about with New Japan. But but before we get there, we do have the uh, the small matter of what the fuck is going on with uh, with Kota Ibushi, and I feel like we've got the. Uh, the right man on the uh, the podcast to ask that question to uh, Alan. You were uh, you were telling us before the show. You've got a. Uh, I don't know if you know the, the answer. Fuck the fuck have I know? <laughs> well, you got to sell your torch <laughs> article here, mate. Front page in the. Uh, um, in the well, so I've I've got an article coming out in the torch this week, and I very much took the tact of um, I'm I, I was kind of looking at this story of where it's landing now in the current Japanese wrestling landscape and how the last month has just felt like one just negative thing after another in terms of Japanese wrestling, both from the 
inept with the Noah stuff and the bad PR to the tragic with the Otani injury and just constant stuff. It just feels like the whole industry um, over there, Dragon Gate aside, Dragon Gate doing well, King of Gate um, on fire already. But uh, uh, aside from, like, it just feels like the industry is kind of tearing apart at the seams in, in certain ways. And uh, I brought it back to two years ago when they all came together and met Hiroshi Hase and uh, talked about the things they do to stand strong during the pandemic and, and where we are now two years later. And and then basically brought it around to this Ibushi uh, story and how like through the translation issues and then just the his writing style um it's very like there's some people out there uh, I'll, I'll tip the hat to the aforementioned joe lanza he he's done a great job speaking to people and piecing together the story as best as i've seen anyone do um so mm. far i listened to um no dig on my former employer i still uh, think very highly of uh Brian Alvarez and uh, and like Brian, but um, he uh, I listened to Brian talk about it on Wrestling Observer Live, and it was it was pretty embarrassing stuff to be honest. Um, so like a lot of people are putting stuff out there that's just like conjecture and just half-assed, and as well like even with the best of intentions and trying to be very analytical with it and trying to be accurate with it, it's still going to be impossible to be accurate because as I said, the translation issues, the mm. writing style of Ibushi. So I took the approach of just not really delving into the situation itself, but talking about everything in Ibushi's career that's kind of led to this point and his history, the, his personality, um, just things we've seen uh, good and bad from Ibushi that has brought us to this and where it could go from here and, and that kind of thing. So that's kind of what I, uh, how I approached it in my column that will be in the Torch newsletter um, Wednesday, Thursday, whenever that gets released uh, this week. Um, so I'd encourage people to check that out. I think I was very happy with how it came out. Um, as far as the situation itself, just, Based on what we kind of, I don't want to say what we know, but what we're seeing, it seems like a totally untenable situation. Mm-hmm. Like, it just doesn't seem like there's going to be trust from either side. Um, so I don't see how he can go on there. But it also, from everything you keep hearing, it sounds like the industry as a whole in Japan, is he, he's broken certain unwritten rules with regard to the industry over there and maybe no one will want to um, uh, touch him going forward. But outside of that, just even logically from a, from a a financial point of view, I'm not sure who else other than new Japan could like, don't get me wrong. Cyber agent could totally afford to bring him in if they wanted to, but they're Mm. already bleeding money with their wrestling promotions. How can they justify what would surely be like, the biggest salary they'd have to pay for a wrestler. Um, and if he'd probably help their business a little bit, but he, for what they're currently drawing, there's no way they can justify from a financial perspective. Yeah. Kota Bushi. So, and they're the only ones who could afford him. 
Um, I just, yeah, like going back to DDT, it seems like, you know, again, they have the cyber age of money, but they're not drawing, they're not drawing big time. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, I think in the States, it's, it's the States is the only thing, but as I, as I went into in, in the article, um, Abushi's history of, of international travel and international, um, He's got a lot of like people don't realize how often Kota Bushi was supposed to come to the UK, the US, Germany in the 2000s and the early 2010s, and it just didn't pan out for one reason or another. Like, there were times he was booked on shows and just he never ended up making the trip for a variety of different reasons, some out of his control. Just the guy has he's always seemed like someone who just international travel didn't jive with him. Um, he would have to go over with Michael Nakazawa on on trips. His first ROH trip in 2008, I know specifically because I had people uh, people who were driving them have told me this that Nakazawa was essentially like Ibushi's babysitter on on that trip in 2008. Um, and I know there's like I know Jamesy at a tweet about like. Uh, um, people talking about Ibushi as if he's a child and, and and yes that is ridiculous he's not a child he's a, he's a fully grown man very capable man in a lot of ways but he's a wild card and he needs to be you know sending a guy like that internationally when he's gone on trips on his own he's ended up missing shows missing flights all these kind of things happen and a one of the big reasons for that is he he speaks like no English for mm. like there's certain Japanese wrestlers that have very good English. Um, there's some that can speak a little, can maybe understand you, and there's certain guys who have absolutely none, don't speak it, don't understand it, have never tried to, and he fits into that category from everything I've ever heard. Um, so going to a place like AEW on a permanent basis like the guy the guy is 40 or just just about to turn mm. 40 um I, I'm, he's in around that age and uh it feels like if he was gonna have learned english for his wrestling career he'd have done so by now mm. um so like nakazawa's in aw so that would help omega's in aw so that would help but AW also have a partnership with New Japan, so yeah. I don't think that's as big of a barrier as maybe some people are suggesting because, like, AEW do wield all the power in that relationship, certainly right now. Um, but do AEW have the space for Okoda Bushi? You know, yeah. is it worth the potential hassle and issues and headaches? Do we know how much of a fan of Abushi Tony Khan is? I don't, I've never heard one way or the other. Um, so it's like, I don't know. I don't see anything where I'm like, this is, this is clearly his destination. This is where his career goes from here. I like, to be honest, the most realistic thing that I can see right now is that he's essentially done and he'll pop up on one-off shows from time to time. And maybe a couple of years from now after the dust has settled on all this and it's maybe in the rear view mirror enough that 
he might make it do a little run somewhere again, whether it's New Japan or or not. I don't know. New Japan have new people in power or whatever that are more apt to having the trust again for him, and he has the trust in them on the other side of the coin. Maybe that is something that can happen again, but I I don't see that wall being re I don't see that wall being um, reconstructed or that house being reconstructed right now. It just seems like it's it's been knocked down and the foundations have been detonated with a whole load of C4 um, in the form of his tweets and uh, and God knows what else, like you know, what's going on behind the scenes that we're, that we haven't seen publicly, you know? So um, it's a wild situation and it's, I think a lot of heads are going to roll in new Japan because of it, because it'll be seen as a, a fairly public um, embarrassment, I think. And uh, yeah, um, I don't know. Uh, and if, if he does, if he does completely get out of the industry, what else is he going to say? <laughs> well, that's yeah. another thing. Is he going to become like um, the Billy Jack Haynes of Japanese pro wrestling and start doing uh, crazy shoot <laughs> interviews where he just starts talking about like the one after he shot himself Billy Jack Haynes <laughs> fucking loon that bloke you know? uh, yeah like I don't know it's um, or he could, he could become the Tom Zank and uh, start appearing on he could start appearing on whatever podcast he could appear here on Grapple Grapple could be his Iata uh, if, would, you, would you would you learn for would you learn Japanese like, lads to get a bushi on every week and do a Tom Zank routine like 2001 Iata <laughs> I, I would. I mean, I think for the for, for as niche a joke as it would be, it would be absolutely worth every second <laughs> of it, just for the sheer weirdness. I think the references at the start of the show, Skylight, to tell us about Japanese soap opera Koa, just silence, back and then specific reaction. But he only knows a couple of words, you know. I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> WH lived and worked there for Christ's sakes. Um, it's one what's of these. The, uh, what's the soccer team Gary Lineker played for in Japan? Again, Grandpa's Nagoya. Grandpa's Nagoya. Find out how they're doing in the fantasy league, and you'll be set. Oh God! <laughs> uh, it's it's just one of these situations with him where it's so weird. It, it just it, 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 because it's so scorched earth. And some of these accusations and these are things where, like, if you've lived and worked in Japan, I haven't. Like, these are things that are very incredibly serious to make public in a country which is historically very very conservative is, is how it's come across and certainly in, in terms of society so it, it's it's just you know where, where you're not where you know certain businesses have have codes that they go by so it feels like like where else could he go to mm. and everywhere else would be a nightmare but I wonder whether or not this is just him backing out of wrestling for a couple of years. That's what it feels like. That's what it feels. It feels like he wants out of there Hmm. and doing this scorched earth policy would do it. And that's not to say there isn't any merit in any of the things that he, he might, he would have said. It's just that there's so much of it that you're kind of throwing out there. That's like, it's like, Oh, okay. Like these are very serious allegations and they're stuff that need to be looked at. But if it hits Japanese press, I think at that point, then you'd wonder whether or not some of the people who are named the, you know, Kikuchi or, or Dick Togo, or whoever, you know, 
Takamishino, all of these people, do they end up being turfed out of New Japan? Christ knows. I mean, they feel like they're so part of like the furniture now that there's only one way this goes. Oh. Only if the press got involved. Yeah. I think that would be a mainstream kind of press reporting on it. But, but it also wouldn't shock you to see him just turn back up there again. You know? I, I, you know, it's like it's like like Alan said. That, no, like, that, that would chop me, Ben. I'd be, I'd be, if he just appeared back on, if he was in the G one, I'd, I'd be stunned. Definitely. It would be so, they. They must have got some one hell of a arbitrator in as a go between. <laughs> if they, it'd be like I, I think I made a reference on this show before. It'd be like uh, Roy Keane and Saipan at Mick McCarthy yeah. where they tried to bring over um, oh, what's his name, the RT, the old RT football commentator jimmy um, mcgee jimmy mcgee <laughs> they were bringing him over to be the arbitrator this like 80 year old commentator whoever who no one was gonna say boot <laughs> it's like maybe they did it maybe they get nagami back from back <laughs> in the day games go look lads sort this out this is fucking nonsense come on shake <laughs> on it sort it out like tony soprano would sort out a beef and then somebody would inevitably die afterwards that's that's the way you deal with it it's like I, I suppose that you know even the you know the, the less serious stuff, the stuff about like them rushing him back. You know we could all see it, couldn't mm. we? Like you know, obvious as anything. Like what the fuck's he doing back already? You know we've seen it happen with Naito. It seems like you know over time as well. Like maybe that even that stuff's probably you know enough. That no matter how much stock or you know is lost in translation in the the rest of the complaints and the rest of the stuff he, he's mad enough and like that's probably you know deal breaker enough. Yeah, those those lads are in a lot of those lads are in a lot worse shape than you'd think from looking at them. Like it's uh it's yeah. tough going over there keeping like the amount they work those guys and um how just the G1 don't get alone. time off free. Yeah, and it's like the the big thing is the mentality of work and hurt. And when you work hurt, you inevitably pick up different and more injuries and make the existing ones worse and that's just a bad road to go down and you see we've seen a very sad example of where that can lead to with otani um uh very recently so it's um you know it's uh, like i'm i'm one of the people who says like yeah wrestling's inherently dangerous it's a dangerous sport like you know if you're getting into it you know kind of what you're getting into but there's also um you can be a bit there's levels of sensible that you can be about it as, uh, at the same time and um you know pushing yourself to the brink that some of these guys do isn't necessarily the most that was, sensible that was route. always like i remember like having a conversation with a couple of lads who were in nxt uk now about like you know, when Brian was out and, you know, in WWE wrapping him in cotton wool and saying, you know, his brains were too scrambled to wrestle again. It was like, mate, you line up anyone who's ever done a G1 <laughs> and they're probably as banged up as Brian is. We just don't hear about it. You know, he just happened to be the one who went for the tests. Like, and the, and the thing with it, you know, it's the, the G1 will happen. We, you know, and then you're the, the, the right back on the schedule. And then before you know it, there's another G1 starting again. And this happens, you know, it's just year on year, isn't it? And it's, it's probably... We saw the medical records of some of these lads, like Hideishi. Like, imagine how fucked he is, you know? Like, when does that lad get a day off? Like, it's probably, yeah, much worse than we even know. I, I, I am a believer that there are some some people who are just, like, unique anomalies who just, they 
Sure. I don't know. Their bodies are just made more durable or whatever, you know? And like Jericho's kind of one of those, you know, the guy's barely ever missed time. Yeah. It's like Ishii could be a guy like that. Like, I I don't know. Um, But yeah, most people I would think aren't going to be like that. And uh, most people it will catch up to. And some it catches up to them quickly. Some it takes a little bit longer. But yeah, it's. Oh, Mega, it feels like it probably caught up to him, you know, over this last year or so. Yeah. What's Osprey going to look like in 10 years? That's a. But he's one that wouldn't shock me if he was one of the anomalies where he's just still moving around like he is in 10 years, you know? Like, some people's, like you say, some people's bodies are built different. He's he's had some issues, though, hasn't he? Injured body wise. Um, Mm, I suppose so. Is the back. Mm. Uh, I've heard the back isn't in great nick, um, so. Um, but uh, yeah, getting greyer these days as well, is she? <laughs> Gracefully, that's what an impact will do for you. Mate. <laughs> hey, fucking silver fox, mate. Be proud of well, on the note of uh, Ishii and Asprey, we've got a couple of uh, New Japan shows to talk about. Maybe let's start. We'll go in chronological order. Let's start with uh, a little bit of, uh, I was going to say Capital Combat then, Capital Collision. Um, I know uh, <laughs> you've, just, you've just seen the main matches from this, haven't you, Alan? And then uh, JP, you watched this. I, I kind of skipped through the show. I watched, yeah, I watched certain matches in full and then others I just kind of jumped onto the finish of to get a feel for. Others mm. I had on the background as I was kind of doing stuff. I think I got a very good feel feel for the show and i think I, I there's certain matches i have strong opinions on from having watched them a little bit closer so mm. yeah as we go through the matches i'll kind of you'll you'll know where i uh where i had full attention and where i didn't <laughs> well, so i suppose we can you know we can kind of gloss over the, the undercard a little bit i mean what's what stood out for you jp from the uh the undercard, the undercard. You know, this, is, this is a uh you know, um, one of your babies, this, this uh, New Japan. Yeah. We were, we were very high on the last, uh, the one that had we the were. Fight Trouble, uh, Lone Star Shootout, was it? Oh, no. uh, Windy City Riot. Windy City Riot, Riot, that was it. Lone Star Windy was the C- main yeah. event show. We were both very high on that, and a lot of that was to do with, you know, the novelty of, you know, seeing, you know, a lot of these guys we've seen on the New Japan Strong uh, TV product get, you know, more featured time and, you know, on a big quote-unquote pay-per-view like this i mean yeah let's I suppose we can start from the bottom um but what from the uh from the undercard start for you well i mean the things i would say i mean i think ren narita versus carl fredericks was like a really fun opener hmm. because they're both clearly two people who've trained together so hmm. many times and narita really is a lad dojo gro- graduate 100%. at this point and and he's found his character like this early incarnation of him, him coming in as a disciple of Shibata is a very quick, simple, oh, easy way to go. You squint at the and telly, you think it's him. That, that constantly, yeah. Out. Yeah. You, like Alan said there, if you're looking away doing something else and you look back, it takes a second to go, oh yeah, that's Ram Narita. And there'll be things in terms of his physique and the rest of it that he'll fill out in time and, and, and whatnot. But that's like, I thought he was good. I mean, you know, Carl, Carl Fredericks was getting kind of quietly booed and I wonder, oh, actually, okay, they haven't done any sort of anything sort of near heel run with with any of that first run of graduates. I wonder whether or not that would be him. But I thought it was a really good opener to it. I went three and a half on it. I liked it. Just thought it was... Nice moments yeah. at the end as well with them, like, you know, Joel Fredericks' yeah. own respect and the Rita kind of indicated he wants another match um, and not, not shaking his hand. I like that. It was like a nice competitive, like, lad dojo match, wasn't it? It was your uh, definitive... One that's 
all young lions because they come in those groups they should all have this this should be the thing like the the kind of rivalries between them and the matches that you can always go back to because they're they're the people that they grow up with but um what do you think I of thought, uh, qt marshall coming out afterwards? that's a weird that's oh a, god it's such a weird fit isn't it it's like because on the one hand like clearly this is AEW as a partner promotion leading into new japan but at the same time you know there are guys on this roster who are completely different acts than they are you know in, in AEW. it's uh it's an fit, but it, I, he gets over with it you know and um you know it's very a uh, you know very american kind of you know heel you know, giving shit yeah. to the hometown type of promo guy, but you know, getting mixed up with with these lads with your Fredericks of the world, I suppose it'll uh, it'll bring him along. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it, it's it's very weird, and it just it kind of Alan pointed to it um, a few minutes ago. He pointed about like AEW having the power in this relationship. The fact that AEW can sort of go, oh, we're going to send you Cutie Marshall and the Factory, and you're going to put them on the show. Like, it really kind of says something, isn't it? Like, for, for kind of where it is. And it'd be great for um, the factory guys, 100%. Like, more than QT. Like, yeah. they're going to benefit more, aren't they? They would do if they become, like, if Nick Camarato, you'd imagine they the New Japan office would look at him and think, oh, yeah, this is the the kind of guy that they, that they kind of like, big, jacked-up dude who looks like a maniac kind of with fondness of Bruiser Brody in their in their minds while they think of it. Um, I think as well, like, you know, there was a couple of kind of fun enough kind of like um, 10 man tags, even if I kind of felt like team filthy were what, cause I didn't think this was overall as good as the last show. Yeah, the it, where it was lacking was these tags. Like I, I felt yeah. like the the team filthy tag on the last one had little memorable spots and there were little character moments that I enjoyed. A lot of the multi mans on this and the matches in general and the card kind of flowed together for me. They weren't as uh, attention grabbing. Yeah, they weren't. I mean, that's what I thought. I thought it was really odd having two of these matches really quite they close. They always do, and it's. You know, I I kind of thought it was weird the first little while, and then I realized, oh, it's just kind of like a, it's the same mentality of the Japanese shows where they have like the eight and ten man tags on the undercard. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, when that kind of clicked with me that oh, it's, it's just that style of booking, then I kind of didn't think of it that weird anymore. But um, I, I will say I was enjoying the team filthy. I always enjoy team filthy, and I was enjoying the match a lot, but. The, the the finish. Yeah. God bless. God bless Ian Riccoboni. Oh, uh, he, really, oh, <laughs> he really tried to to give that some logic, but sometimes Ian, you just uh, <laughs> sometimes just too far gone. Don't, just say don't bowling shoe shoe ugly and move on. Even <laughs> even afterwards, he's like, oh, Daniel, I'm like, what an athlete! Oh, he looks so good, and it's like you could see it written all over Daniel Limelight's face. He was fuming with himself. Oh, felt bad for him. <laughs> yeah. He's he's a good heel. Uh, I I like him because I like him because he irritates me greatly, but in the best way possible. And I think he's I think he's a good wrestler. Um, uh, his little dance, oh, I hate it. It's so annoying. Um, but it's it's over uh, as a little heel heel taunt. Mm. Um, I like when the baby faces mock it and stuff. It's uh, um, but yeah, it there wasn't a. The the TM it was interesting seeing TMDK opposite Aussie yeah, Open. I hadn't yeah. really like considered that in my head before. It was like Same. the two Aussie tag teams of a couple of years apart. The, it just hadn't registered. And I don't know, JP, yeah. you're you're the expert here. Like the, <laughs> the, 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 the various 
the various compartments of us, the Australian scene and how they generally don't intersect with each other because they're so far away. Are, are these, were Aussie open from a different part of the country from the TMDK crew? I get the impression. So Mikey Nichols is based in Perth, which is right on the other side of the country. Whereas Aussie open were Brisbane and quit and uh, no, so, yeah, Brisbane and like Sydney. So Queensland and, and um, New South Wales. So it would have been the other side of the country. And then they came over like, I imagine Mark Davis would have had some sort of interaction with them at some point. So, I mean, I found it, I was there thinking to myself, MCW, you want to get on this? This is the kind of like a real, like if you can book that match in Australia, that's a fascinating match to have. Yeah. I think like a really good match to go to. I, I like the idea that, that they might be going with TMDK as a faction in New Japan. I mean, the factions need a big old shake-up. I don't know if they're fundamentally just too close to United Empire, but they seem to be treated as faces for the night. If, I don't know if it was just just me, but they seem to be kind of like really excited to uh, to kind of be, I think like be seeing. Club, they kind of flip-flop, don't they? Because it's a, you know, a Western audience type of thing yeah you know they can get yeah. away with being the faces it gets more of that yeah, but I, yeah tmdk i can't see being a stable in its own right in new japan though i kind of see it as like would it be part of a bigger stable like just these four you know you tend to need like a you know a top guy involved don't you oh, they i think they'll go all in with jonah i think jonah is someone that they're going to go all in with and that match with jeff cobb could be a lot of fun Probably if they revisit that one of these yeah the crowd the crowd are into that and their interactions were good the way they backed into each other i thought i just kind of liked that setup of the of the interaction between that they've been kind of hinting throughout it jonah strikes me as a guy who's absolutely gonna end up taking a g1 spot that we'd rather go to someone else that you're like yeah he's good but i don't know i'm not really excited about bad news tito mate (laughs) (laughs) blood blood sport to tmdk didn't see that coming I like that you said bad news, Tito. He's uh, a kid. Bad bad news, Alan. (laughs) Bad dude, Tito. Where am I getting it from? (laughs) Um, Should be bad news, Alan slash Brown. Does does he? Does he have? What's his real name in brackets that we can put in? (laughs) (laughs) But like, yeah, I, I could totally see Jonah Rocket in that spot and having a G one like Jeff Cobb had a few years ago, where it's like a bunch of three and three quarter star matches or three and a half star matches at, at best. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, just Jonah, Jonah's good. He's just not someone that excites me at all. Like I will never, as things currently are, I will never look forward to a Jonah rock match. I'm never going to hate a Jonah rock match, but I'm never going to look forward to one. Um, so, Although I will say the face-off he had with Jeff Cobb did get over big time to this yes, crowd, so um, uh, they, there might be something in, in, in promoting that matchup. Um, I think TMDK and Aussie Open will be locks for the tag league, and which is great. That, that might be. Was that be a lot of fun that tag league? Mm. But then I thought yeah. that about the Super I, I, I think they'll. I think they'll be given a nice little. I think they'll be given some respect with that match on that tour. If it happens, and uh, they will give them a, they'll give them time, and they'll give them a good card spot, and they'll they'll put it over as battle of the two Australian teams. Um, I'm just curious if we'll see any of those guys over there before Tag League. It, it's it's still a long way to December, so um, mm. it's uh, 
what are uh, a route Aussie Open have taken to get to New Japan though? You know, coming over to the UK during the boom of Brit Res, not even knowing each other, you know, getting to know each other in Fight Club Pro, becoming a team in Brit Res and, you know, now via New Japan Stronger and, and I suppose Rev Pro, they're, they're making it to New Japan. Like, uh, it's kind of cool that that can happen, isn't it? I assume, you know, Osprey's their sponsor and he's put in the good word and that's probably why they've been so loyal to him over the year. The last couple of years, but like it's a cool little success story, isn't it? That a couple of very indie lads have uh, are gonna make it to you know main roster New Japan and are getting treated like a proper part of this stable. Especially when, and you weren't there, Ben. Sorry, you'll be at double or nothing. I don't know if you've told anyone yet. <laughs> um, but at Royal Quest, when they had the match with Gorillas of Destiny, yeah, like, you really kind of thought, re- exactly, and you thought, ah, oh, they're gonna get there, and then it was like the unfortunate injury. Yeah, that's um, probably the shot window. The, the, the thing we haven't seen yet is them having a real chance to shine in kind of like a singles match. Now, that may well happen on some of the New Japan tours sort of post-G1 hmm. when they get out of that, when they start to put them on those like kind of undercards, when they start to putting them into United Empire proper, when they're doing like storylines with Will Ospreay. So they come in, they kind of have some big spots and it, it you know, and it's doing well, but I think like when they get in there proper, then that's going to be like kind of them when they're working that new Japan loop. Um, that's when it feels like they're properly there. You know what I mean? And, 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 and really, you know, you'd hope that they, they just get that run of luck that they haven't had for the last couple of years because the potential's there. Well, to, um, go through the big singles matches, um, Mm. Them the show. I mean, uh, say big singles matches on that count. And Jace Owen to Great Can't. That was a match that happened. I don't know if you've got any strong yeah. takes on that. Uh, I hate the finish. They love Ocon. Ever since that story's come out, he seems to be getting massive cheers. I know. You, you're uh, not mad. I'm but. not. I prefer him to Chase Owens, though, so I'll take that. I was really, I thought Brody King, Minoru Suzuki. I mean, Brody King's a guy who probably mm. fits that Jonah mode for me and that, you know, Jeff Cobb mode that I know a lot of people turn the corner on Jeff Cobb. I haven't really but yeah brother king's just you know i enjoy him in in in, in spots but i can't say i uh i massively look forward to his as matches but i did think him in yeah, I'm, you know, I'm the same i think he's fairly overrated to be honest he's all right if you hide him in a six man with you know with, with the lads and uh, alistair black and that but yeah i just don't really see it with him um but him and Minoru suzuki i did think you know in the big spot they might they might deliver so i mean this was a three-star match like a bl- blinking you miss it really like it felt like it didn't oh really okay so i didn't enjoy it at all. so this was one this was probably the match on the show i because i absolutely expected just that i've seen enough minora suki matches now on the indies and in new japan strong and it's, i'm not a big brody king fan so i don't need to see this i can close my eyes and picture what it'll be so it was on in the background as i was cleaning the kitchen i barely looked up at it I could hear some pretty decent responses, but I assumed it was just the usual responses Suzuki gets live for doing stuff that, you know, if I was there live and I'd never seen him live before, I'd probably be popping for. Um, But I was just assuming it was the usual. And then I saw, got some really good reviews online, at least where I checked. And I was like, oh, maybe this was actually good. But based on what you're saying now, it's probably more like what I was expecting. Well, I mean, if the grapple average on this one, um, if, if that helps at all, 3.46, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah I went three and a half. Because mm. the thing I felt with this one, actually, the thing that did make it slightly different was it was the fact that Minoru Suzuki working the giant. So I actually got the fun from this was Minoru Suzuki working around. How was he going to deliver the sleeper hold? Well, he cuts down his knees. 
and does it like he adapts so much on the fly. The fact that he wasn't able to put the arm bar in on the rope straight away. So those spots were being blocked by Brody King. I thought that was the kind of main kind of interest. But, you know, I think there's, I wouldn't blame anyone for having fatigue for this. And like you, like when it comes to Brody King, it's not like I've seen these string of like kind of really big, like kind of matches. It felt like even in, you know, even in Ring of Honor where there was, there was opportunity really for him to stand out. And he still didn't manage to. And yeah, you know, him being with Alistair Black and House of Black is probably the best place for him to be, mm. for having him around. And he serves his purpose in those kind of six months. That's it. I mean, it might be worth visiting now. I'm just looking at grapple. You know, there's a lot of threes, but there's a lot of fours too, you know, so there are mm. swings that are either extreme or not. But to me, yeah, you know, that, that is part of it too. It's just having seen Minoru Suzuki 500 times, I think, over the uh, the last couple of months. Yeah. Um, what I did really enjoy, Ishii and Eddie Kingston. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't think anyone will be uh, pretty shocked by that, but... Yeah, I think from the moment uh, Kingston uh, walked out in his uh, in his Brody Lee T-shirt, uh, you know the uh, the strike exchanges in this, to you know some of the suplex exchanges as well. Like it was, this is a match that, to be honest, I do feel like it feels like a dream match. It doesn't really feel like a particularly organic New Japan strong match. It feels like, if anything, something that should be on uh, Forbidden Door. Uh, but instead, we got it here, and yeah, it kind of uh, mapped my expectations and uh, and maybe a little bit more. What did uh, you guys think of this one? Trying to go first, JP? No, you go first. Uh, I, I was amused at Kingston making sure to wear his Kawada colors for yes. Yes. the match <laughs> with Ishii. Ishii, the uh, Tenru-trained uh, guy, just like Kawada. So, and then he put him in the stretch plum and he shouted something that I couldn't make out clearly, but I think he shouted, Kawada-san! And... That's a little. That's a little crossing the line of being a complete nerd. That's that's almost in Dax Harwood territory. Yeah, I was gonna say. Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, maybe he said. Maybe he said something else. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But he was making sure to wear the Kawada colors. And um, yeah, like, look, I I kind of would have. This is another one where seeing the match on paper and Ishii as well, like Suzuki, is a guy who we've seen now in the US and the UK prior to COVID coming over and doing his match. And it's like the Ishii showcase match is, is really, it's really good. If you've never seen it before, it's going to knock your socks off. Um, but I think you get a more interesting performance and a more, he always works hard physically, but maybe um, mentally uh, he's more, tapped into what he's doing on uh, like a G1 show or something like that. He's, he's giving well, more Tanahashi. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's probably giving more mental energy to that stuff. Um, when he's on these shows, it's more of a, a touring showcase, which is fine. It works every time, but um, I kind of close my eyes would have figured what this match would look like, but I'll be honest. It ended up being a slightly better version of what, I was expecting. I don't think it was in any way. Um, I don't think there was any more story to it than I expected. It was what I expected, but just like some of the exchanges were just that bit more intense, that bit cooler than I thought they would be going in. They really, they definitely worked really hard in this one. There was some, some very good stuff and some cool moments. And yeah, I liked the match a lot. I probably put it in the 3.75, four star range. Uh, 
yeah. very, very good stuff. I went. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, three point seven five. You? Oh, but a bit lower than uh, than me. I went four point. Well, I went four on it. I was considering four point two five. Grapple average is mm. four point oh three, so that's probably about yeah dead on. I mean, I was, what I was going to say, what I enjoy about these matches and to a lesser extent the Suzuki matches, I love watching like Ishii and Suzuki and kind of trying to work out. Do they like this person they're wrestling with or not? Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah, like, is it has Eddie yeah. King got any remote amount of like? respect out of Ishii that means he's gonna go a little bit harder than he might with you know some of the matches he did over yeah. over many a weekend and to me this kind of crossed that line into I think yeah he did I think you know I think I think yeah. he gave him a bit more I think Ishii yeah he does have his stock match that he that he does you know in the US and the UK because he you know he's learned what gets over you know the big the big Hulk up spot's gonna get over you know coming up from the dead and hitting the uh, the German suplex after Kingston had just done one to him that's gonna that's gonna get over you know the the, the lariat no sell stuff the strike exchanges he knows what works but to me it felt more at that end of Ishii with his working boots on than Ishii you know on maybe a weekend you know fulfilling a booking and I think. Some of that, maybe I'm reading too much into it, is the fact that he seemed to, you know, enjoy him being being out there with Kingston. I think so. And I was just thinking of this. Like, in the last four weeks, we've watched three really good Ishii matches. The Tanahashi match, Evergreen the Josh statements. Alexander. Sorry? <laughs> Evergreen statement. <laughs> it is. I know. But we, but we've not even hit G1. True, and that's where he and that's where he turns up. Really turns up. So I'm going to be fascinated to see what he does because, like, it's one of these things where he is someone who, I, I like for ourselves, the kind of fans that we are, we've been really spoiled. We've managed to see like so many of these kind of like the, the great performances in, in New Japan and the likes. So I suppose in many ways, I know I do. I end up taking them for granted. So. I think for this, like, it wasn't as good as the Josh Alexander match for me, which I really enjoyed. But it was still something that was, I suppose if he'd had it in a forbidden door environment in front of like 14,000 people as opposed to 2,000, then, yeah, you might well get that kind of different reaction to it. And it'd be great if at forbidden door, Ishii, and I can't see how somebody won't be saying, can I wrestle Ishii, please? Because that will be definitely something that somebody... It's just that which person will get to do it. Because there's so many people... Who could be your pick, JP? Oh, Christ, now you're asking. I think think Brian. Because I think... I think... I was wondering... Moxley's getting Tanahashi now, whereas I would have done Brian Tanahashi. But if you're doing Moxley Tanahashi, I think you do Brian Ishii. There's just other people with Brian who'd be considered I, I think Brian will be not. tied into I think Brian will be tied into Zach probably in a tag oh, and then they'll do their singles I, like, to me the perfect tag now I do think Moxley is probably going in another direction now but I I thought a tag that would have made a ton of sense and would have been really cool would have I know people really want Brian to have a singles match but I think Moxley Brian and Yuta against um, Zach uh, Suzuki and Desperado, I think mm. works really because you got Zach and Brian, you got Suzuki and Moxley, Day of History, and then you've got Yuta and Desperado, which I think coming off the Super Juniors, that could be yeah, they could build into that, and people would re- people really like both those guys. Despy is a guy in New Japan who people are into right now, which just 
not a huge amount of those guys. I, I just think that really works for a lot of reasons as a six-man. But look, there's about 20 different Brian singles matches you could put. Am I going to complain if we get a Brian versus Shingo singles match just for the fuck of it? <laughs> no. Um, I, I, I think you could see, like, uh, there's so many ways you could go with this show. It's really where yeah. we're, we're guessing. But I uh, know I- Ishii, um, I've given you time to think about it, JP. Is there one that jumps out? Uh, in terms of jumps out, no. Sorry, I feel I feel bad. I feel like I'm I'm, oh, I'm too far. What about um? What about? I'd like to see him in there with someone because he keeps being booked against like hard hitting guy who will have striking. Snow Joe. Yeah, that would be that would definitely be one of the. I, I'd want that match to be short. I, I mm. wouldn't want them going too long. Um. I'd like to see him in there with someone who's not going to have that, who's not built for that kind of exchange and maybe just see Jungle Boy. I was thinking Jungle Boy. I didn't, I didn't want to say it, but I think it'd be interesting as fuck. <laughs> but uh, Look, like, Darby Jungle Allen? Boy has... Yeah. Or Darby versus... That's... Yeah, I love that. Darby versus Shingo is another one. That just imagine Shingo killing Darby. That would be, and Darby You've seen it. Seen it, a couple, seen it a couple of times before. Enjoyed it both times. Keith Lee versus Ishii. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be weird, like it'd be a very niche reference again, but yeah, it's a winning form. But but as well for those that do get it and do get their past, they love seeing mm. another match built onto that. And for those that never saw their Rev Pro matches. They'll just be like they'll get to experience what those Rev Pro fans experienced in your call that they went oh, crazy at, like yeah. the same building up slowly and slowly to that suplex spot. Imagine him finally hitting that in the United Center after building to it for five minutes, like and the roof blowing off the the arena Michael Jordan owned in the nineties. The roof blowing off that arena for Tomohiro Ishii giving Keith Lee a well built two suplex, like ah, oh, be amazing. <laughs> oh, a lot of options though uh, lots of ways you could uh, you could go um, just because we're running uh, slow on time I assume no yep. one's got uh, many takes on the uh, on the semi-main events the, uh, the, the oh tag, no the, uh, really Barely good house show match there. really yeah. good house show if that happens on a house show you're at yeah you're yeah. you're leaving that house show happy with a smile on your face standard setup tag um, any strong thoughts then on the main events uh, Juice Robinson Will Ospreay Tanahashi and John Moxley I thought a lot of creative spots in this though it was uh, well put together I did mm-hmm. I thought Osprey was had gone absolutely nuts I thought it was actually shame achieved the camera, uh, shame the camera missed all of it oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the commentators yeah. didn't know like that dive spot it was like oh, Osprey I saw Osprey like, fly somewhere I don't know what, where he went or who he hit yeah, there was like a scream from the crowd. Yeah. And then Osprey was laying on the outside, kind of like, kind of sat up like he'd done, just done some big spot. And he was like, what the fuck happened there? Yeah. Because we missed it because they were on the outside. It's like The Simpsons, um, isn't it? With the, uh, when the sugar's outside Homer's house and he's like, see that guy? He's going to do something yeah. cool. He's going to do something cool. And then he leaves, and the moment he leaves, he does it. <laughs> <laughs> it I, I thought, on the whole, I really enjoyed this. Like this was the thing, like if it didn't have a match like this, I'd have been like slightly down on the card as yes. on the whole before that. I just thought actually this was really good, but this actually kind of, it was the best match on the show. It's where the star power was. I thought it achieved several different things. I thought like it was absolutely all action. 
and it wasn't that long. I think it was just over 15 minutes. I was quite surprised when they gave the 15 minute announcement. I was like, fucking hell, this is nearly there. I thought Osprey was on absolute form going berserk. I thought Tanahashi in an environment where he isn't often doing this type of stuff, like four-way matches, four-way singles matches. I thought he was great and how he manages to work his spots into there as well. I don't think, you know, Moxley needed to bleed necessarily. I don't think that was something that necessarily needed to happen. But again, <laughs> I know exactly, but it's, it's a small price because again, he goes in there and he absolutely fucking delivers. And in, and in some ways there's still that part of me that just goes like, I kind of like, I don't, I don't really appreciate how good John Moxley is at times. I kind of like, you know, and he adds so much to it. So I think there was a really interesting dynamic and I haven't mentioned Juice Robinson, who I have to say, with the gusto he threw himself into this, the fact that he was the one getting the most booze out of that crowd as well. And like they worked the title onto him in a way where it was kind of fine and he did kind of belong to be there because he was US champion and he'd had the little feud with Moxley when he first came in and stuff like that. So it did kind of work. So I just came out thinking maybe this new coat of paint on Juice Robinson isn't a bad thing. And I thought to myself... Do I want to say that Osprey is who we predicted on the weekend show was going to win it? But I thought to myself, do I want to see Osprey around the US title scene? No. I don't really want to see Hannah Tanahashi knocking around the US title scene. Juice Robinson's kind of perfect for being a US champion. I want to see Moxley in there. You want to see him going for like, well, there is only one now, whereas that of the never open weight title. But you want to see them in that kind of top mix for the for the for the world heavyweight title. So I kind of thought it achieved all the things it needed to do whilst at the same time being incredibly crowd pleasing. And it was, it was a very un new Japan match, wasn't it? Yeah. It felt very in a good way. It felt very pre-planned. It felt like it was like mm. within an inch of its life, all of the spots, everyone knew where they were going to be at any given moment. And you know, it, it worked, it flowed really well. And it was a match. Yeah. You wouldn't expect Tanahashi to excel in, but he did. I don't know if I'm as high on juice coming out of it as yourself. Maybe it's just the, the finish kind of leaving a, a bad taste. Or do I need another mm. you know, wrestler in New Japan winning as matches? You know, oh, he pushed the referee over and hit a low okay. blow in a four way where he probably wouldn't have been DQ'd anyway. Don't really get that, but whatever. It's After the belt shot. Yeah. 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 I just did. I didn't enjoy that, but. Yeah, overall, I thought it flowed really well as a match, and yeah, four star match um, by yeah. me, and yeah, it's it's trending that way on Grapple too. Um, Ben, not to pick on a point you said there, but I think we need to stop being surprised about Tanahashi excelling in matches that you wouldn't <laughs> think he'd excel in. True, he is one of the greatest of all time. <laughs> quite a few. T- he's done it a few times. That like, going back to the ladder match he had with Omega years oh, ago. God, yeah. And then the ladder match with Kenta from the Dome, or was yeah. that just an ODQ match, actually, where no they DQ. just ended up killing? Yeah. And then this four-way, and um, when you put the guy, his wrestling brain is such that I think it, like, he'll always work super hard to put thought into whatever situation he's in, but he seems to just have an extra bit of juice about doing that when he's in a situation that's new and not normal and it's like he it's like almost as if he views it as an extra little bullet point to add to his resume mm. of a, a thing in his legendary career of oh, take this off the list this wacky american match that uh, now i've done it with the hiroshi tanahashi flavor and it, he seems to do 
deliver and make it work in his own unique way every time. I think it's because it's because of the charisma and the connection that he has and knowing how to get crowds to react, regardless of whether you're dealing with a gimmick or a, an inanimate object or what it might be, or he just knows what makes crowds react and he can figure that out with whatever he's dealing with. Like this is not as extreme an example, but like when he's been put into smaller promotions as an outsider and he just totally, like, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but he did a DDT match at Cork and Hall in about 2014 or 15, I'd say it was where he went in with a young boy version of Yo, Yohei Komatsu at the time. He went in with Komatsu and they wrestled Harashima and, um, oh, I forget the name of the other guy uh, from DDT. Oh, yeah, uh, they he played Hale and the, the PowerPoint presentation. He, he, he does the PowerPoint presentation after the match. So, so ah, basically... Yeah. The crowd want to lynch him during the match because he's being such a prick and Corrigan is booing him out of the building. And the match is amazing and he gets great near falls. And then at, at the at the end of the match, because this match was happening after he had said some stuff in the press about Hiroshima that had really rubbed DDT fans and apparently DDT the wrong way. Um, I don't know how where the work and shoot ends there, but... Um, so at the end of the match, he's like, okay, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let's all, let's, uh, I, I apologize. Let's leave this all in the past. I know I said, I, I've been an asshole and I'm going to make it up to you now. I'm going to give you, a, in DDT style, a PowerPoint presentation. And he does the whole thing with the PowerPoint. And it's like really funny if you get the translations and it's just totally making fun of himself and all this. And it's like, has this basically like 80s territorial heat match where it's looking, you think he's going to get stabbed. And then like a few minutes later, he's got the crowd laughing and smiling yeah. and everyone going home happy. And it's like the guy just, yeah, he's so smart to wrestling. And um, yeah, I, th- I think he did a really good job here. I think the action was like, there was a couple of things in the match. Like there was a, a point where juice does a bunch of time idle belt shots to the head in a row. And I swear, lads, I was overseeing belt shots in 2001. And um, 21 years later, I don't need to still be seeing that. It's just the most lazy, hokey pro wrestling contrived, not contrived, but uh, yeah, lazy hokey thing that we see done and cliche thing. That's the word look for that we've seen done so much. And, God, yeah. When I saw Juice doing that, I was just like rolling my eyes. Uh, but in fairness, they didn't leave me sour on the match for very long because very quickly they were moving on to something that I thought was was cool. And they had some, like there was points where I thought the match was going to end and it kept going in a positive way. And they added some cool layers onto it. And um, yeah, they're, they're doing a good job with this Osprey storyline in terms of getting screwed by the referees in his mind and like i'm not into a lot of will osprey stuff for a variety of reasons these days but like that's one thing that i actually am kind of enjoying and i i i I think it's they're telling that story well Mm. at a good pace and it's i'm interested to see what it builds to yeah and and i'm into i'll be honest like these shows in general like 
how, how breezeable, mm-hmm. how much of a breezeable watch was this show, really? Like, you know, yeah. you give me a match as good as that main event, you give me Ishii Kingston, bit of variety on the on the undercard. I mean, we're about to get into a show that I didn't enjoy even half as much from uh, from New Japan. I think they've, they've got something with these big mm-hmm. US shows, JP. I'm uh, you know, these little check-ins we're doing. Maybe so. we're not watching the TV every week, but well, you know, when we do tune in, what- it was a good time. I think the last time we had Alan on, we spoke about New Japan's business model of trying to run as many shows as possible to get as many seats sold. That's just the way that they operate. This is an interesting way of them running two different sets of kind of house shows with a few guys from the main roster coming over. They've got this good core US international roster. They've got some really interesting combinations as well that are kind of unique. So, yeah, I'm... Like I'm into it. I did, uh, you know. I saw the spoilers for New Japan Strong, something I don't always do, but I'm kind of intrigued by it. Like the kind of seeing Chris Dickinson coming in, JP. Oh yeah, in the main event against Tanahashi. I was actually thinking of Fred Rosser versus Tom Lawler. They, yeah. they, they've been you, you, you think you think they could have just left that? Like, is he fucking worth it? Like, like that's the thing to me. It's like, not is, no, it's not no, worth it. Like the the honestly, the talent pool of wrestlers right now. It's so big that yeah. not many wrestlers are worth it because they're all fucking replaceable right now because yeah. there's so much talent out there. And I, I hate to say that, but it's true. The, yeah. like it's 90% of the wrestlers out there, ones we like, ones we think are really good, they're, they've never been more replaceable. <laughs> so, yeah. oh, And Chris Dickinson is like the epitome of that. He's He's good. He's enjoyable. We've liked a lot of the stuff he's done in the last couple of years, but my God, is is he going to add one yen to New Japan's profit next year? Like they don't need him. And now, what it's 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 a completely separate argument of whether or not the backlash is actually a meaningful backlash, or if it's just a Twitter bubble or whatnot. Who cares? It's it's completely avoidable by just not booking them. So yeah. but then again, maybe maybe there are people that are sympathetic to him. Maybe like a Rocky Romero or whatever. Like, oh, he's worked so hard for us. He battled through his injury, and I I believe he's a good person. And I've been around him, and I think he's a good person. And like I and just pay no attention to what multiple women have now said about the guy. Um, so. You know, uh, like, look, it's um, it's 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 a it's a story now that we've gone through so many times with so many people in the yeah. last two years. It's the latest example of it. Like, I just don't get why after getting a show with good positive feedback and having a bit of nice buzz about your product, going and turn around the next day and then changing the narrative to that at least in a small bubble is it just seems like shooting yourself in your in your foot. So, um. And do you really owe Chris Dickinson anything? No, you don't. You're running the business. So, um, very surprising on. considering how they reacted to the Marty stuff. You know, they immediately mm-hmm. cut that segment, never heard it, and he's not been back. Although I have seen on Instagram, he's been posting a lot of clips of himself in New Japan over the last couple of weeks. So, you know, maybe there's a part oh, they've wanted story, to, they, they've, they've been toying with bringing him back, and there's multiple wrestlers pu- pushing for him to come back there. So, um, it's I, yeah, I don't. I don't give them any credit for for that. I'm, I'm sure they'd love to use them if they were guaranteed. They wouldn't get any backlash. Um, 
but uh, the um, yeah, I know it's like you there. There was interesting stuff on the on the the tapings by the looks of the JP, and it is an interesting product, and I think they they've done a good job with it. And the point I was going to say is like, how many tickets did they sell for that? Washington show. I don't know how Philadelphia did, but that Washington show, there was like about 2,200 yeah. or so there multiplied by whatever the ticket price is. I'm sure it's expensive enough. That's a good old earning. Mm-hmm. And then you have all the merch. You know the fans that goes to those shows are buying merch. Like, that's a merch buying crowd, you, you can tell. Um, it's a nice little earner to have out going outside of Japan. I think it, I would imagine they're covering their ass pretty well. And maybe they have to recoup some losses from the, the, the tapings with the no crowd. I'm sure they're still like in, in the hole from that. But I mean, I would think they're covering their ass or maybe even making a decent profit on what they're currently doing right now. So fair play. Yeah. Well, on that note, moving to things uh, Japan side, uh, we've crossed the magic three-hour point here, lads. So we'll keep it as uh, as brief as it deserves. This uh, <laughs> this a block show. I mean, uh, probably giving it away more than once. And I think maybe you are JP. I did. Go, I was very high on no, the US show, but like, oh, go on, Carl. Benno. We we can move uh, the Alan versus Benno Alex Zane debate to an episode of versus. <laughs> I'm just point. a coward. Was, I'm, I'm dodging it, mate. We've only I've only gone two. I months. just want to. I just want to skewer. This guy, I'm sure he's a lovely guy, but I think he is the shittest wrestler. I'm not his dad. Uh, <laughs> That's fine. You're this is the gauge all over again. Fan, <laughs> you're his biggest booster. Hey, I, I mean, I enjoyed them more than I enjoyed the majority of this show. I don't know. Is it just me that the fan is such a rough watch? Because I was, a, I am still relatively excited for this um, lineup. It's just, I don't know. It was the, it was maybe it was the back to back of watching this hot crowd in the US. And then going into a clap crowd New Japan show with three star matches in every direction you could look. I just struggled to get excited over the show, and I, I struggled. I just didn't enjoy it, uh, if I'm honest, as a, as a show. I maybe it's just me. the The match I enjoyed the most out of these was the first one, and it was Ace Austin and Clark Connors. Same. And it probably is a probably is a case. Well, I went three and a half on that because yeah. I'm kind of more predisposed to like them. There's the novelty of seeing them in the situation, which I have to admit, I watched a little bit of the Wheelie Uta match because I want to see the novelty of Wheelie Uta in New Japan. It's like something about that. It was like wanting to see the reaction to El Lindemann when he came out. It was like those kind of little things. I think what, and you know, like I say, of all the matches, that's the one I would go for because I think there's just a, a lot to it. I think Ace Austin is a really interesting wrestler. And it was something that Chris Charlton made made aware of of these mid-level kicks he does yeah like a a bit of commentary i enjoyed that yeah like the parkour stuff basically where he sort of drops to his hand and will do a couple of kicks of the midriff and stuff and it's a lot of fun and clark connors is a really is a really good wrestler and someone who should be like working that junior division permanently but i found the issue is you kind of look at what are the two main events on this show and you go taiji ishimori versus yo Raisuke Taguchi versus Hiromu. Oh. Matches we've seen before. Characters that have been kind of done to death. And I think there's things where you had things like Francesco Akira, who I'd be generally excited to see, but he's in there with this version of show. Someone who I was supremely high on, and I couldn't care. And that's where it's like, and Alex Zane Yoshinabu Kanemaru was just like, uh, just a, 
a bad mesh of kind of styles as as much as anything. And and we we can't be fair to this tournament until we see like. What, do you, do B, you mean someone who B can blockers. wrestle against someone who can't wrestle? Is that the mesh of styles? <laughs> is that what is? Well. <laughs> That Yoshinobu Kanemaru match, I recommend everyone the match he has with Justin Liger in the dome, like when he becomes fucking Noah Jr. champion. That's great. Justin Liger, are you are you Jushin Liger. I'm going mad here, <laughs> or I'm having call, a stroke. That's what they called them in Dungarvan back in the day, Sarah tells you when it was on Eurosport. Oh, Justin Liger, are they? Um, yeah. <laughs> the legit, yeah, that's what ever because they got all the wrestling. They got like Eurosport, New Japan, they had ECW yeah. somehow. They had like everything, and uh, people loved Liger, but they all called him Justin Liger. <laughs> Brilliant. Why wasn't there a wrestler calling himself Justin Liger? Why wasn't there? <laughs> I'm, trip, I'm, sure, doing, uh... I'm sure Ari Williams had one on one of his shows. I was gonna yeah. say, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think you're right, JP. Though I think it is. It's the it's the makeup of those like two quote unquote main events. Like, if you Ooh. find Taguchi entertaining at this point, like you belong on a register. Sorry, like I just don't, I don't <laughs> understand. I just don't understand enjoying this act. Like at this point in 2022, it's no one needs so to see. Tired. It, it's pretty bad, uh, mate. The best thing bad. he's done in years was that film with Tanahashi. Thought he yeah. was genuinely good in that. Yeah. Uh, doesn't belong near the top of like an opening day as well where you want to like start on a good front don't you you want to be excited about this tournament and you know i'm yeah. still excited to watch the b-block seeing, tomorrow but come on i think what we're seeing happening is the the opening of the tournament is kind of getting sacrificed for the middle of the tournament getting three shows in cork and in a row which are all just ridiculously stacked lineups with both yeah. blocks every night and if you look at the matches on those, those shows look incredible. Um, and they're kind of gambling on those shows carrying the tournament, I think. Uh, but the problem with that is three shows with all best Super Juniors matches on each show. Might they burn out that core and crowd, which have already been kind of burnt out during? Now, I know they have sold out at least one of those shows. I know the Desperado Lindemann show is sold out. So that's probably going to have a really uh, as good of an atmosphere as we've had in a New Japan show during the pandemic. We'll probably have for that match um, because Desperado's been calling Lindemann out and dropping his name for basically the whole year so far. Um, so there's there's hardcore interest amongst like the hardcore Japanese fans and the Strong Hearts fans. I'm sure bought a lot of tickets for for that. So. Uh, uh, yeah, they've got a lot of stuff stacked onto those shows, and as a result, these early shows they have a lot of the things we don't want to see, <laughs> um, like those two matches that main evented yesterday. So, uh, but I think the A block is generally going to be a bit rougher than the B block. There's there's guys in there who aren't like I don't think I'm gonna. I think what we need to do with this Super Juniors is cherry pick it. I don't know if yeah. you guys were planning on doing that to begin with. Oh but, yeah. I'm locked in for that now. I'm especially those Kurokan shows, those all yeah. block shows. You're going to have to pick and choose. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to. Otherwise, you won't appreciate it because that's yeah. the problem: is you'll get lost in the shuffle of ten matches, and it'll be like even Jesus. even even in 2019, where I think they might have had the greatest stretch of tree shows in the same building I've ever seen in wrestling with those tree Kurokan shows in the 2019 Super Juniors, which were unbelievable. Um, there's still stuff that I kind of forget happened during those shows because it was it was such a blur of three days and that was red hot pre-covid crowd um but 
like I'm not going to watch any Takuchi matches. Like now that I've seen that one, it's like I know the Takuchi we're dealing with here now for this. Um, I think I'm completely bored with Taiji Ishimori, to be honest. And I was a big Taiji Ishimori fan, but he's I I just don't find him that interesting at all anymore. Um, so I, I don't know how many of his matches I'm going to watch. I'm morbidly curious about this yo thing that's going on with him just being the most bumbling fool <laughs> of a lethargic wrestler there's ever been. Like, what is going on here? Oh, so I, him as well. I'm kind of fascinated by that, I want to say. But, uh, then, You're telling him you should fucking quit in the commentary before he yeah. even began. It was like, incredible. <laughs> it's really stiff stuff, but um, yeah. They did it with then, Yoshihashi during the G1 as well. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cherry pick show. I'm going to probably avoid Desperado. Not Desperado. I'll watch a lot of Desperado. I'll watch a lot of Desperado. I'll watch a lot of Titan. I'll watch a lot of Wither Yuta. Who's the guy I was going to avoid? Oh, Fa- El Fantasma. I'm not into Fantasma anymore. It's whatever. Um, if, I, I, if I ever really was. But um, yeah, he's just... He's annoying and not in a good way to me. I I don't want to see him get his ass kicked. I just don't want to see him, to be honest. So, um, yeah, a lot of guys I'm going to avoid in this tournament. And then a bunch of guys who I'll watch a lot of their stuff. I'll probably watch every Lindemann match. I think he comes out. They said it on commentary. He comes out there and he brings a different energy to the place. He Um, really does. He did at the press conference even. Yeah. Yeah. Shima has that drilled into those guys that he's had a hand in the careers of. It's like, and it's why, like, like I, I, I'm not gonna harp on it, but like watching the King of Gate shows the same weekend as watching this show, it's a different world. That's the energy, like it's clap crowds. But that's a lovely transition there. The energy that the wrestlers bring because. Shima's not there anymore, but it's the same principles that's drilled into these guys. It's like you step through that curtain, you need to bring a whole lot of energy because you want to make this crowd have a good time and let them be a part of it, even if they can't cheer. And like Dragon Gate putting on this show with a bunch of lads in key spots um, in their early twenties, like on uh, on Sunday morning, and just smashing it and having interesting matches, all short, nothing overstaying its welcome, all stuff in the like seven to twelve minute range, really exciting, great near falls, great energy. At one moment on the show, which I, I put up a clip of, where the crowd just fucks all restrictions out the window and pops huge and makes it has a huge reaction to Jackie Funky Kamei doing one of the craziest moves I've seen in a long time. And um, yeah, it's, it's a promotion with energy and a promotion that's trying really hard to make the best of things. And that's what we've seen with King of Gate so far. It's been massively interesting. Um, and uh, it's off to a far better start than best super juniors. That's all I'll say about King of Gate so far. Was, is Dead or Alive the mad cage match? No, yeah, they didn't do the cage match this year. Ah. Uh, they they just did they just did a card of really good matches with really good stories. Believe it or not, just 
<laughs> the uh, classic pro wrestling. <laughs> and the Noah thing's dead. That's gone. Well, you've got the so you've got the Zebrats guys are still working a little bit over in Noah. I don't know if that's going to continue on much, um, but I hadn't watched a ton of that myself. Um, I hadn't watched any of it myself. Actually, I haven't watched them in Noah because I haven't watched Noah in the last two months. Um, but on the card stuff. No, no Noah guys have come over to DG um, since Keno and mm. uh, Keno and Hyo came over last november but that was a one-off for us a, a sponsor the main sponsor um that's been funding a lot of japanese wrestling the cleaning company the the toilet wipes man um i don't know if you've seen the mascot uh but he's basically he's an old old time pro wrestling fan and he's pumped a ton of money into a ton of promotions during the pandemic to, uh, ironically the toilet uh, cleaning man keeping promotions afloat uh, during the <laughs> pandemic <laughs> um, so uh, that's uh, yeah he, he hasn't quite wiped all the shit away though has he <laughs> He's not. yeah so he that, that was the only time that Noah guys have come to Dragon Gate um, but Nosawa's there now with Kataro and they're actually they're doing a really fun storyline with that. It's 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 been it's been good. It's the perfect use of Nosawa. He's it's ridiculous, but it's mm. it's completely inoffensive and and he's got no power and um he's actually been entertaining and the crowds have kind of responded to the story they're doing, so I've no beef with it really. I'll have to check out the writings on the app for the Dragon Gate stuff. Just to see, like, there's a couple of times I think oh, they need to do that entry point. I know they've got the young roster, but it's, I know for us, Benno, it's always like it's it's one of our blind, it's one of our joint blind spots, isn't it? One of your only blind spots. <laughs> it's, it's I've got a few. It's not for everyone, like, as I've said before on yeah. this show, yeah. like, it's, um, yeah, yeah, you know, it's not going to be, it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea the way they tell stories, the presentation of their wrestlers, um, it might be a little too uh, lighthearted in some ways. I think it might lack mm. a bit of an edge, but but they they know when to throw that edge in there at the same time. But I could see there being for certain fans, I could see there being too much of what might turn them off that they wouldn't get to the things they would enjoy. Whereas I kind of enjoy everything they do, pretty much whether it's the more lighthearted stuff um, or the, the edgier stuff. So, you know, that's the reason I've been a fan since 2005. Yeah. It, it, it's a thing to be noted with the Japanese business scene that the number two and three promotions in terms of Dragon Gate and Stardom are the ones who have got a policy of pushing homegrown young talent. And that is the thing that is, is I think that's the thing that's, that's serving them well. Because you'll always hear that about Dragon Gate, even though a lot of it doesn't necessarily fall onto our our radar at times in terms of the regular shows. In terms of live attendances, they're up there. They've been like a number two for a while. Yeah, the the big thing is they can go around the country and they Mm. promote in all the different areas of the country really well locally. And they have their fans in different... And they they build around people who are like, they're going up to Sapporo for Tree King of Gate shows next weekend. And they have KZ in big spot. They have BB Hulk in a big spot because those are the Sapporo guys. And those guys, just them being on a card, will draw a couple hundred fans because yeah. they're, known, they're known locally. 
they're known entities locally. And you, you and they now what they're trying to do is with some of these young wrestlers who've come along who are from markets they haven't actually gone into in a big way previously, like Dragon Daya, they've started going on to Dragon Daya's home market and pushing there. And they did their first show from there and uh, it got a lot of local promotion and it did really well. So um, they know what they're doing. The, the best thing I'd say about them is, as a complete antithesis of what's going on with Noah right now, watching Dragon Gate, you always feel things are moving forward. You always feel things are moving forward. You never feel like you're going to get dragged back. You never feel like what you're watching isn't going to matter because like, they're constantly um, building upon things and, and build, playing back the things. And it's just everything matters in the long run. And yeah, it's all, it's, it's how you, you feel like your investment is going to pay off. And mm. I can say that as someone who's watched it for 17 years, I've never been let down. Um, every bit of investment I've put in has paid off tenfold. So I, it's a promotion I trust. So. Well, um, before we go, uh, you both wanted to talk uh, a little bit of uh, All Japan, 50th uh, anniversary show, is it? Miyahara and uh, Aoyagi? Yeah, just very quick. I managed to squeeze this in. I mean, Alan might have more detail for it, but I managed to squeeze it in just before we recorded tonight uh, while I was trying to avoid Arsenal Newcastle. And I, I mean, on the app when it goes up, I'm tempted to put it in the four-star to possibly 4.25 range. Um, Hipster Ricarda, I labelled him earlier on, <laughs> Kento Miyahara, which is a shocking, sacrilegious Could thing to Could say. Could be the title. I know. Well, I'll get in trouble for that. Like, I'll get a bollocking from a group of like uh, humour free people. Um, All right, I'll Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's one of the things where like I have to say it, it kind of. I think he's more hipster Tanahashi though, right? He's, he is he's, hipster. I think he's more Tanahashi yeah. than Okada. Hipster Tanahashi. Seemed, it seemed like when they teamed together at that uh, Quirk and oh, yeah. anniversary show, it felt like they were instant best friends, and it was like the Spider Man meme, and yeah. they're like. You're amazing. You're even more amazing. I love you. I love you too. Let's be best <laughs> friends. One of the one of those Spider Men, slightly older, like <laughs> just just ever so slightly. But this was because these two had teamed together before. Yuma Aoyagi won the uh, Champions Carnival recently. I thought this was. I hadn't seen like a big Kenta Miyahara match in a while, and this was a nice way to drop in. And um, I really enjoyed it. Yuma Aoyagi hang hung with him which is really the kind of main thing. And there was a lot of like kind of back and forth. There's what I love about Miyahara's offense is when he kind of just goes into sprint mode, but um, Yuma Aoyagi, he's also one of the treat uh, trainers there as well in all Japan, like really good. I didn't expect him to win. I think it was pretty much expected that Ken Miyahara would win, but it's part of cementing him in that top three mix. And he's someone who definitely deserves to be there. Ever since, ever since Nomura got the injury and effectively has, has gone from all Japan, it felt like he should be there. And for a while, it was kind of like he was, um, you know, teaming with Miyahara, but kind of playing slightly second fiddle. But yeah, I haven't got like enough to go into really good detail, but I, I kind of enjoyed it in that big Miyahara match type way. Um, I won't harp on the match itself too much. It's It's a really good triple crown, really good Miyahara title match. If you like those matches, you'll like this. Um, mm. It's very good. What I do want to note is um, I thought they 
the venue they run. I spoke about Sapporo. Dragon Gate's headed there this weekend. These two shows were in Sapporo. They have a great venue. It's a hotel venue that All Japan run. Mm. And they, it looks really nice on camera, which is yeah. stark contrast to a lot of the places All Japan um, run around the country, um, which can kind of be a little It looks bit bleak. Better. It looks a bit bleak from time to time. This looks nice. It looks like they put a bit more effort into the setup of it. It just it looks really good, and they they drew well. Like you could see, the crowd was pretty full both nights. Funnily enough, the first night has a higher listed attendance than the second night, which surprised me mm-hmm. a lot. Um, and I, that could be maybe a time of day that it was on, or the day of the weekend, because it was Saturday, Sunday. I think these shows so. Um, I'm not sure on that, to be honest. I haven't. I, I need to listen and do a bit more research because I just got the the shows watched today, so I haven't seen really any of the feedback or anything there. But um, what I really want to hammer home is that uh, as great as the Triple Crown match was, the best match I saw on these two shows, and I, I haven't watched everything yet, but the best match I saw was the night before they did a build-up tag for the Triple Crown. And it was Miyahara and Rising Hayato against uh, the Aoyagi brothers. So Yuma and his little brother Atsuki, who is an awesome junior heavyweight. Um, clearly his favorite wrestler as a kid is Akira Tozawa because he does a lot of Akira Tozawa stuff. Um, I couldn't believe how good this match I was expecting just kind of a generic build-up tag. They went out and tried to have a match of the year. It was like... The four guys who are like, you got basically three of all Japan's future there with the three young guys. Like Yuma's still only like 25. He's really he's young. Like been in the main event scene for years. His little brother is like 22. Rising Hayato's about that age as well. Um, and then Miyahara, who's kind of like the star uh, uh, with all these guys. And they were like, look, all the we got all the outsider kind of guys and the older guys like out of the way here. It's just the four of us. Let's just have a fucking cracker of a match. And they, they damn well did. I, I, as I said, I was just expecting standard build up tag, but they, they went and they topped the actual triple crown match that followed the next night. And that's not a knock on the triple crown match because it was great, but this match was even better. Um, I I feel like I should rewatch it because like I wasn't I didn't know what to I wasn't expecting such a great match going in so I was paying attention but I wasn't like you know yeah. I'd like to re, I'd like to rewatch it before rating it but it feels like it was a four and a half star match it feels like one of the best matches I've seen Jesus. this year um I'm curious to see if uh, is this show up on grapple yet no not yet I think yeah okay. Yeah. I'll be very, I think some of the All Japan, because I'm sure most people who rate All Japan are kind of like the the hard, hardcore All Japan fans. And uh, I could see for the All Japan hardcore fans, this being a match that they love because it's like the guys that they've probably been, that if you've been sitting through All Japan for the last years, it's probably been like these four guys that have been getting you through those shows. And so I'd say there was a lot of happy All Japan fans seeing how good this match was. So huge, huge recommendation for that. There you go. And I'm sure uh, Gareth will have it on the uh, app sooner rather than later, won't he? But yeah, I suppose we're uh, 
for all our time. <laughs> that's, we, we almost hit three and a half hours. That's good going. Four hours, ten minutes uh, live with the patrons. That's pretty good going, I think, uh, for us. Still, the course well. of the one in the morning. Uh, got a lot covered, though. A lot of fun. And, yeah, Alan, always uh, always great to uh, to have you on, mate. Do you want to let the people know where they can, uh, where they can find more of you? I was fucking tired before we started the show. I was like, I am going to be so shit on this show. That's I have no energy. I don't know how I just, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You guys just brought it out of me. But uh, um, yeah, so I, I referenced the um, uh, Ibushi article that will be in the torch this week. I will also am planning on having on Jamie O.D., who I consider the DDT Ibushi career historian. Um, and uh, I'm going to have him on uh, for my next show uh, coming in about a week. And we'll be talking. It'll be a more fleshed out version, audio form version of that, that article I, I did. Um, and getting Jamie's insight, which I think will be super interesting. Um, and then the show we just did was the fourth episode of 34L30, uh, which is my series going through 30 of my favorite wrestlers to celebrate uh, 30 years as a professional wrestling fan. Um, basically give me an excuse just between me and my grapple friends here. It's an excuse to not talk too much about current wrestling um, because I struggle to do that on my show and uh, uh, to allow me to oh, just wrong, talk man. about old wrestling that I really liked and old wrestlers that I really liked. So uh, episode four was Mick Foley and uh, I was joined by the amazing tandem of uh, Joe Gagne and Justin Shapiro, two of um, uh, the, the podcast OGs, two guys who I was listening to uh, on podcasts in 2006 together. So all the way back to the Joe versus the world days. So uh, um, yeah, it was great to have those two on. They were amazing and it was really fun chatting about Mick and going back over some memories and things we might have forgotten and stuff like that. I, I'm very happy with how the show turned out. Um, I'm definitely the weak link of the show. They carried that one. It was uh, it was it was really good listening to to them on it. But uh, yeah, that's that's really about it. The the other 34 L30s we've done are uh, Vader, Claudio, and Eugene Nagata. So um, if you, if you enjoy any of those guys, I would ch- I would check them out. And fit great guests so far. We'll have a different guest for every one of these 34 L30s. So big passion project for me and uh, had a similar kind of passion project in April where uh, the whole month were shows celebrating um, the 60th anniversary of Cork and Hall. So a lot of history uh, of that building and of history of Japanese wrestling really was was covered over the course of those four, three shows uh, that we did in April. So um, yeah, uh, that's that's the plugs. Uh, PW Torch VIP at Alan4L on Twitter. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. Go VIP. I highly recommend it. Always say it. Whenever oh, yeah. you're on Alan, but big, uh, big torch guy. Love your show. suppose I like Will's stuff, but uh, yeah, no, it's hard to wait. All of that stuff. <laughs> it's all good stuff. So yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely subscribe there if you've enjoyed Alan. And- all good stuff, despite what Mark Madden says. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's again, Everdreen statement. But uh, yeah, definitely. But, yeah. But, uh, yeah. A, a, for a disgruntled former employee, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Again, evergreen statements. But uh, yeah, you'll have that on his. You'll have that engraved on his headstone. He will. Lou Pudlian yeah. as well. Why do you support Lou Pudlian? So uh, I don't know. Um, but yeah, um, the other. The, I suppose the other book for Peter we saw JP as well. You know, we, uh, our observe this brother show. You know, not just the observe. Yeah. We will. We use the uh, the torch for our last show. We'll definitely do a, a torch centric uh, episode coming up. But do we have anything else to put? 
Uh, we do, well, patreon.com forward slash grapple um, would uh, recommend that. We've got, like I said earlier on, our 1PW first anniversary show with Eddie, uh, Eddie Sideburns and Arn Furious. Um, we've got the daily updates. We've got the weekend show. We've got Smojo mixtape coming up. Um, there'll be various other things happening over the next week, even if <laughs> I've ballsed up all the plans by operating on a different timeline. Um, so yes, the we will mess. get these things sorted. Loads of stuff out there. Yeah. <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash grapple. I didn't even talk about Doctor Strange. It's all right. It's a mess, mess of a film, but it's kind of meant to be. It's all right. There. Well, on that note, yeah, you my plug will be you can uh, you can catch me over with uh, with WH Park. I was the follow up guest to Eddie Kingston along the the Royal Road, which was a uh, big shoes to fill. But we ended up talking. Uh, what we were talking earlier, weren't we? About you know finding you know matches and finding different wrestling, and that was one of my early memories of being on the internet in the year two thousand, being uh, logged onto Kazar and downloading the a grainy copy of uh, Stan Hansen and Vader with the uh, the famous eye uh, pop out. So yeah. We went uh, all the way back in memory lane to talk that. So you can check that out at postwrestling.com. I believe there's a video version of that uh, somewhere. Um, you can probably find as well. And then, yeah, as JP said, might be a little bit topsy-turvy the next uh, couple of weeks as far as uh, public shows go. Uh, might be a good thing, though. I, w- I won't be on Spotlight next week, so you'll be in the uh, the, the hands of JP and uh, whoever he, uh, he rounds up to do the show with him. So, yeah. Benno, I want you to bring a bring a nice portable recorder, which and be roving reporter on the scene. Ben is with that. They'd be like me oh. at a six being carrot or uh, whatever back in the day just uh whipping out the recorder and just <laughs> that's the get, getting getting live thoughts from people and then editing it all together and throwing <laughs> it up without care in the world for what was said incriminating or otherwise <laughs> that's my plan i'm gonna uh, obviously i'll be recording a lot while uh, while steph's trying to hear and i'll also be uh doing uh <laughs> doing some roving report might even corner uh tony khan you know ask him uh, some burning questions if i can get myself into the uh into oh, the media if you room. end up in- if you end up in that media room, you better not let your hands down and ask some softball question, Benno. See, people know now that I do lurk on that Discord, so uh, you'll. Uh, <laughs> I will be. I'll be following that Discord for uh, for questions, suggestions. So I won't let them down. They love me. I love them. Love the uh, the voices of the Discord. But uh, they love yeah. me even more. <laughs> Especially in that Noah section, mate. But yeah, uh, I'll be doing be doing that. Lots of uh, audio as well from uh, from my trip. Genuinely, I'll be uh, recording some stuff and throwing up on the uh, on the Patreon too. So all that to look forward to. Anyway, we've gone three and a half hours. We'll call it here. Cheers for tuning in, everyone. Thank you to all our patrons who've uh, stuck around this long. Well, we'll catch you again at some point over the next couple of weeks. Bye. There's no peace. Bye. There's no hope. We're